Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars that weren't in their prime Made all the movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. Here, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous or the mazes that they ran through to become famous, but rather the movies they made in between. And today, right as you're getting your turkeys ready... As you're making your stuffing, as you're swirling, you're, you're mashing your potatoes. As you're avoiding family members, maybe. As, as you're <laughs> kind of making the decision, what kind of political discourse will I avoid or not avoid um, uh, as Thanksgiving approaches. Or if you're listening to this in the future, you know, future ignore all of this. Um, <laughs> today, we're talking about, we're getting a little specific. And actually, I, this was like a pleasant surprise topic, I have to say. Agreed. We're talking about Dylan O'Brien. And our guest today is the great Billy Ray Bruton. Now, Billy Ray, let me just let you kind of introduce yourself because you run a lot of things. You're a jack of and, all trades. I'm a jack Con- of all asses. <laughs> and Connor and I have been lucky enough to be up, you know, guests on some of the stuff. And you've been on Cinephile Game Night, obviously. Um, and you've been a, like a uh, one of the best players of Cinephile Game Night. So the floor is yours. Tell us about... What's oh goodness! In the um, world? Well, well. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, so let's see. Uh, well, for my day job, the pay the bills job, I run Three Dollar Bill Cinema here in Seattle, which is the largest queer film organization in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, we do a lot of cool stuff here. But also, I host the Incinerator Podcast. Uh, at the time of this recording, our finals uh, for season one will have just dropped in everybody's podcast feeds. So. Uh, Check that out. Uh, I run Scripts Gone Wild in Los Angeles. Uh, I also program Make Believe Seattle, which is a new genre festival that's coming out in March of next year. And I also uh, co-run and program Skyline Indie Film Festival in Winchester, Virginia, which is in September every year. So, yeah, I I do a few things. You're literally all over the map. That's all over the geography of this great land of ours. (laughs) Now, Billy Ray, where are you from? I, I, should, I know this, I think. Oh, oh, yeah, Roll Tide. Oh, ah, you're Roll okay. Tide. All right. Yeah, Roll Tide. Yeah. Roll Tide. All right, Roll Tide. Wow, good job. So Not not uh, so much this year, Roll Tide. But I was going to say, I don't want to bring tide. it up. I don't want to bring it up. It's a sore spot right now. All right, but, all right. Um, we, won't, we won't dive into it. All right. Yeah. Can I tell you a quick, funny Roll Tide story? Uh, always. So I'm, I'm from a family of Irish Catholics, so Notre Dame is a big <laughs> sure. deal for me, as, as sure. I'm sure you can guess. So many years ago, um, when I was still in New York... I don't even know if me and Kelly were married, but Notre Dame played Bama in a bowl game and got absolutely crushed. Like I remember Notre, that like, game very like well. Like Notre Dame usually does. God bless. Um, um, though they had a good win this year uh, against Clemson. Anyway, um, so I'm going to like a bar with a buddy because it's like, you know, I'm a cursory fan, but they're in a bowl game. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try to like, you know, go to a bar and like watch this game, whatever. And so... 
I go meet my friend, whatever, East Village, we're at a bar watching the game. And Kelly trying to be like a supportive girlfriend or whatever. She's like, she's like, hey, like, enjoy the game, roll tide. And I think she kind of thought like <laughs> one meant the other thing. And I remember I was like, I was like, babe, babe, no, not roll tide, babe. No. Like <laughs> no. I'm rooting for the no. other team. Go Irish. And they got crushed. But I, I remember that, that game very well. One of my best friends from high school. He lives in South Bend now, but he's a big oh, Notre wow. Dame fan. But he also grew up a massive Alabama fan, so that game was like Sophie's choice for him. <laughs> sure, was it was like say. it was like not knowing who to root for. I think he knew Alabama was going to take it, but it was still like, what do I do? I know that's <laughs> funny. Oh man. Um. So yeah. Okay. So Billy Ray, we've wanted to have you on. Obviously, like you said, you run a bunch of stuff. Um, you know. Uh, the Cinephile Game Nights you've been a part of. I was lucky enough to be on a couple of the Incinerator podcasts, um, which is a really fun time and like such a specific thing and very fun. Yeah. And like uh, that, the, I, I would encourage people to check that out because it's like if you like the minutia of this podcast, I do think like you get a lot of that in that in the Incinerator podcast because it's like yeah. that thing of if you're going to if you're willing to go down the rabbit hole with these things, I think it's they're in the same stratosphere you know if you want sure. to say it but yeah. um but anyway so we were talking to you like hey what do you want to do we have a couple listeners choice people who are coming up cameron diaz michelle yao what have you and you were like well what about these people and you gave us something we were like we love that we love when when our guests suggest things and one of them was dylan o'brien and we were like yeah you know what it's felt so specific and I have kind of been looking for an excuse to watch the Maze Runner movies because I haven't yeah. watched them. And it was, I will say Dylan O'Brien, I would have never really thought of him in, in true, in earnest. And we were talking a little bit before we pressed record, but like what a nifty career this young guy's had. And yeah. like it's, and he's, he appears to be making the right, the correct turn into the rest of his career. Yeah. And I guess to set it up, we're going to kind of we'll get there because we're going to talk about um, the first time, which is early, early, one yeah. of his very first movies. I actually reviewed that movie uh, at Sundance so I can. All right. I can, pull, I can pull that up. American yeah. Assassin, Love and Monsters, and then The Outfit, which came out earlier this year and is currently you can watch it on Peacock and The Outfit plus um, the Zoe Deutsch movie. Not OK. It feels like he's kind of branching out. He did the Taylor Swift short film All Too Well, which is also in kind of an interesting kind of choice. And 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 they're all very different roles. And I think that's exciting. So anyway, I guess tell us though, what's what is it about Dylan O'Brien that brought that brought us here for you? Oh, well, great question. Um, I'll try not to make it six hours long. Uh, <laughs> well, I I first became aware of him as a human person. Uh, with the series Teen Wolf. And sure. so I was a huge fan of that show, watched every episode from the time it premiered. I, MTV, I still, right? MTV, yeah. MTV. I still think it's, a, even though the last couple seasons got a little wonky, I still think it is overall a pretty damn good series. And he was really the heart and soul of that series. He was certainly the breakout star from that series right from the get-go. And um, and I was just fascinated with him because I thought he had such great comic timing in that show and and just the way he like carried himself. And and then and then once that show got into the more dramatic areas where he had to really start challenging himself more, he did it so effortlessly. Mm. And it, it was just not something I was used to seeing in these like teen dramas, because, you know, my entire life at any given time in my life, I've always got one teen drama 
that is like my go-to. Like I started sure, sure. watching, I started with my mom watching Beverly Hills 90210. Sure. Mm-hmm. That segued into Dawson's Creek, into the OC, into Friday Night Lights, Gossip Girl, Teen Wolf, Riverdale, you know, just straight down the line. And so I just hadn't seen someone I in my mind that had that sort of level of skill in one of those shows in a very long time. And so sure. I just immediately became like fascinated by him. And then he started, you know, making films and the maze runner was kind of his first really big film. And, you know, I watched that series. And to me, it's probably, in my opinion, the best of the YA adaptations, not a big fan of those in general. But that, I, might, yeah. that might be true. What kind of hard to argue against it. Yeah. Now that I've watched all three. I, I put this on my letterbox, like, the only, and I think I put this in my letterbox uh, specifically, I think Catching Fire, the second Hunger Games movie, is actually like, and Connor like kind of laughs at me when I say this. <laughs> I think it's like a, it's like a pretty crazy feat of like great blockbuster filmmaking. Actually, like I think that movie's almost great. I think Catching, like specifically Cat, the second one, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I think it kind of gets long in the tooth. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman passes away. That makes things harder. All that stuff happens. The first movie has its limitations. But as a but as a trilogy, as like a series, now that I've seen the three Maze Runners, I, I think I'm inclined to agree with you because the thing I wrote and I kind of watched, I think, Connor, you watched a couple of them at least. I, I watched two. Like, wa- oh, you did. My you wife watched and I three. watched all three of them. But kind of for the same you. reasons you're talking, like we watched the first one and I was kind of like, yeah, no, I get it. Like, I get why yeah. this is, it's like a compelling premise and 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 then it ended and we were like, yeah, and I, well, to, to yeah. the degree that I was about to put on, she was like, going to go to bed and I was like, I guess I'll put on the Scorch Trials and she was like, no, like we'll watch it tomorrow. You know, and I was like, oh, okay, all right. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and I and I think the pace for me, what what and I guess the third the third movie I think loses this a little bit, though I I did like the third movie fine. I think the thing that Wes Ball, the director, does well, and I think Dylan O'Brien is like a good conduit for this, is the pace of those movies really sustains. And I think if so many YA movies and just movies in general these days, but specifically these young adult adaptations like they're creating these worlds and there's like there's a lot of context and exposition and i do think one thing maze runner kind of avoids basically until the third one and even still it's okay is it really gets through the bullshit like in stride which i think is kind of underrated right i think it's like you're getting a lot of information but the movie's moving like the movie's not stopping the movie's Mm. not like you know Patricia Clarkson shows up to do stuff like at the end of one. You know what I mean? She's not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there's not like a 10 minute scene in the middle of the movie where she's like, let me explain the, what the whole movie's about. You're not really getting a lot of that. Yeah. I think that's, and also you get, Hey, the second and third, you get, you get a little, little pepper. You get yeah. a little berry pepper. Who little, doesn't like a little who pepper on their, pepper. on their sandwich? Yeah. We all love a little pepper. Yeah. So I think that all that stuff and then to bring it back to Dylan O'Brien, I think he does a good job of like it's not I mean, we look we talk about this with people like Tom Cruise and whatever, like it's not easy to anchor stuff like that. And I think the easiest thing critics can do or whatever movie lovers is to kind of like brush those lead performances aside because you often if you're like Thomas from the Maze Runner, you know, played by Dylan O'Brien, 
you're carrying a lot, but like all of the fun stuff is is the is everybody, yeah, is everybody. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, is the Aiden Gillen for God's sakes, my God, yeah. Um, yeah, who really is hot as hell in those movies. I have to say, like he's a handsome guy, but he is. You want to talk about a scorch trial? Aiden <laughs> yeah. Gillen is. Didn't you? Th- I, okay, scorching. I was, didn't you think movies, there were going to be? I, and this is just me coming in knowing nothing about the movies. I was so sure that the Scorch trials were going to be like literal, not like legal trials, but like a gauntlet, like a physical trial <laughs> or gauntlet oh. that they were going to have to. Like, I just thought it was going to be like more mazes, but with some yeah, Scorch. There, you yeah, know, like, you, yeah, there aren't. The mazes go away I, after the I just first kind of was okay, like, I, kind, I was yeah. like mildly disappointed in that because I was like, oh, I could have stood for like a little bit more like booby trap shit. Yeah, I, will, yeah. I will say about Aiden Gillen. Aiden Gillen, what's interesting about him as an actor is he delivers every line and every project he does like he wants to get in your pants. Yeah. Which is he why does have he's a very, great yeah. in yeah. uh do you ever see The Lovers? The Tracy oh, Letts yes. and Daryl. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. My buddy's he, in that. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like the other man in it. But yeah, it's like yeah. a gr- it's an amazing performance because I and maybe I'm misremembering, but is it isn't the whole thing he's like actually like an okay dude? It's like I don't remember actually. I, I, I love that I, movie too. I, I might be yeah, misremembering. I, I feel like the whole I, thing is that he's like not the Aiden Gillen character. I guess is what I'm saying. I think you're correct. What's funny yeah. is Aiden Gillen is the crazy guy in the John Cena movie Twelve Rounds, right? Which yeah. was like early yeah. John Cena, yeah. like very yeah. like Die Hard with a Vengeance type of thing. It right? started a franchise, right? No, yes, it did. And what I think is funny is I, that must have been the first thing I saw Aiden Gillen in. And I remember thinking like, well, this dude's really overplaying his hand. And then it's like, oh, no, that's just like what he's going to do for the rest of his career. And it totally <laughs> yeah. works. It's like yeah. so funny. Like he really has made a, a great career out of um, out of that type of thing. But anyway, so all of this to say, good job, Dylan, with the Maze Runner movies. Yeah. They all were big hits. He literally yeah. destroyed his face making one of them. So he, he almost, almost died, died. Yeah. making the third one, the which, third which one, I'll yeah. say that it's the, I believe in Billy Ray, you can correct me. I sure. believe it's the opening sequence of the third movie, the death cure. And correct. it's like this Mad Max esque, yeah. like, you know, Mad Max meets fast and furious, like car chase heist. And it's, yeah honestly awesome it's like really 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 riveting and when you realize that like my guy literally was like jumping from one car to another you know missed got ran over and then they like he like almost died they paused production almost canceled the movie yeah and then and then uh, kind of amazing when you think that he came back and finished is like really a testament to him to be honest it's one of those things i just you know, I feel like the closest comp I could think of is like Mark Hamill, right? Where like the he, car accident, he gets in the accident, right? he gets the yeah. facial reconstruction, and obviously medicines come a long way, so sure. But like, you, you know, you, you can still tell the di- there's like a before and after oh, yeah. there that oh, you're yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, something happened, right? Yeah. And admittedly, yeah. like I literally just finished watching the Death Cure. I was like, oh, I honestly don't know what parts they filmed before and what parts they, you know, like yeah, it didn't. I didn't even think I, about. I it, wasn't actually, even aware yeah. of it, and even obviously moving forward, like some of the movies we're going to talk about like love and monsters and the outfit like still handsome guy so like you know yeah good good for him just keep on trucking i a lot of respect well that's the thing is like what's interesting about him too and i think this carries through his entire filmography and starts with teen wolf um he's actually in my mind like like he is he he's so perfect at playing those like weird dorky uh awkward sort of characters 
but he's trapped in the body of like this really handsome yeah like sure. really attractive guy and i i think it's it's interesting watching his career and seeing how he deals with that and how when he chooses to embrace which parts and um and and i agree with you what you said earlier i think he's done a good job of like making really good choices in terms of his career like i think there have been multiple sort of turning points in the road where he could have went one way and Mm. he kind of chose to go the other and i think i think that's really interesting i think that's why he is i think now kind of poised i was i was telling on to connor earlier like it was just announced today that he's going to be that he's looks like he's going to be leading the new pirates of the caribbean series for disney plus oh really wow and that yeah that was something that was mentioned today kind of on the rumor mill but it tracks and i was like because i've been waiting on him to get involved with like marvel or or dc or something like that somebody just seems kind of poised for it yeah well get like the noah sentient nino whatever is that oh don't get me started on that waste of space adam (laughs) smash it was the adam smasher in the black adam i guess to to that point though (laughs) i kind of which is why i'm glad we've done this is i kind of always just placed him in that bucket like of just just nebulous fuckboy bucket of like oh yeah like whatever these guys are nothing and I, I I don't know he's just a more charismatic and and win- winning actor than I kind of uh, and as- I'll say and we, this is actually a good we can jump into the first time because I think it's a good it's a good point because I think so the first time uh, John Kasdan writes and directs it um it's a very kind of proto uh, John Hughes indie you know coming of age you know um rom-com scenario but clearly kazan's trying to keep it as real as possible which even when i saw it i think it was the 2012 sundance i believe um i reviewed it and this is a decade ago now and i gave it a b minus which i think was like pretty positive because i don't think it got great reviews actually and i will say i i was rereading my review and i'll link to it in in the article uh just for context but i praise Britt robertson in my review and i and i don't praise i like i single out dylan o'brien as as being the weak link and what i think Shame is funny well, no, what I'm saying, I think what's funny is now that we've and this is what I think the beauty of watching film and, you know, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, critiquing film, logging film, all these things, you know, and Matt Damon had a great quote about this, about, you know, they should give Oscars 10 years later because things age and change. Sure. I think this is a good example of like we're talking about him being a very handsome person who can is good at being weird. The thing in the first time is he's very awkward. Right. And I think when I watched that movie, I was kind of like, I see what he's trying to do. I'm not really buying it. I feel like Britt Robertson's doing a better job. And now I'm kind of like, Oh, I probably had that wrong. Actually. I think maybe he took it to too honest of a place that maybe I couldn't really wrap my head around. I think, I think the movie is like a little staccato and like, doesn't fully work. I don't think that will change, but it's an interesting thing to go back and look at it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly, uh, look, it's certainly not the best film in his filmography. I think it's important when we're doing something like this, I think it's a good film to talk about because I think it kind of sets the stage for him in a lot of ways. It's his first role as a leading man. And he's, you know, he's playing on, 
a lot of different things that he'll sort of play on throughout his career. And this came at a time, this came right when he was really popping on Teen Wolf. Mm-hmm. And this character very much plays into his character on Teen Wolf. Like right, this could okay. ostensibly be Styles Stalinsky, which is his character in Teen Wolf. It's very much the exact same type of character. And so um, I think this was before he really maybe found the confidence Mm. You know, as an actor, you know, for this to be one of his first roles like this. And um, so it's not look, I like the movie. I would probably give it a B minus as well, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, that's probably the area that it lives in. But yeah, I think I think he does a really good job here. And you're right about the John Hughes comparisons, but they're also kind of going for like a weird like Richard Linklater before sunrise type thing. And like but they're trying to blend that with like you know, the John Hughes or like something like can't hardly wait or something like that. Right. It's like they want to be a teen comedy, but also kind of be the real thing. Like, yeah, yeah, some version of the real thing at the same time. They don't quite they don't quite get the balance. They don't quite nail the balance of it. But it's still I think it's it's really well acted. I think they have great. I mean, they were dating at the time, I think. So that would explain, I think, why they have such good chemistry. You you get the pocket. You get the Victoria Justice pocket when she was popping (laughs) up in things. Yeah. Yeah. Good old VJ. I think with this movie, um, and I just quick synopsis, I guess, is just it's just about, you know, two young people. Uh, she's a high school junior. He's a high school senior. They meet sort of just because they're at a both party. at a party, yeah. you know, outside a party uh, that they were brought to by their friends. And over the a very quick few days, they kind of fall for each other yeah. and they both have not had sex yet. So it becomes this tense thing of like a will they won't they and how important is it and what kind of weight do you place on that? And um, and that's basically the movie. But well, the- I remember when I saw it, I remember thinking that the thing and look, the thing that Kasdan and Robertson and O'Brien handle the best is actually the central dilemma. I actually think that was a very relatable. It, I think it almost takes a little like, too long to get to it, if I'm being honest. Like if that's sure. what you're ca- if that's what you're calling your movie. Right. And if that's what you're positing, sort of the central dilemma of the movie is it really only only occupies like the back 30 kind of. And it's not a long movie, well, right? It's like 90 minutes, yeah. basically. Yeah. I think that depends, though, on, I guess, your read on the title. Sure. Because I sure, get, sure. obviously, like I was actually in a play once called The First Time, very different than this. But it was about just a bunch of people delivering monologues about their first times. Mm-hmm. And so I get that you hear the first time and you immediately jump to sex. And I'm sure that's exactly what the intent was. But mm. I also think it just refers to your first time falling in love. Sure. Sure. Yeah, like sure. really falling no, in that's love. A, that's and a fair I, point. And, and, I, and, I, and I do think they do a good job of showing that even from that very first meeting when you're get, I mean, you get the sense from the very first time they interact because it's such an, an awkward kind of weird way. And it's like, OK, like, you know they're into each other yeah you know you could just unavoidably like yeah yeah Yeah. almost again like almost against their better judgment kind of they sort of can't yeah i guess what i I guess what i responded to just trying to recall i mean 10 years ago but you know and i would have been i mean that i i would have been way closer to that age you know there were those those memories were still probably somewhat fresh for me which now it's like i couldn't even i mean it's feels like it feels like 
a thing I did once and it was like another person. It's also, probably. it gets harder. Uh, I think for me to, to that point, like it's harder for me to, to watch movies like this as I get older. Cause I just go, you'll be fine. Like, you know, what I mean? like, oh, this, this yeah. is my point, but, but, but this, but that's exactly my point. What I yeah. like, what I recall liking about the movie and was reminded kind of, as I was kind of scrubbing through it and watching some of it uh, today was like that conflagration that you have as a kid of like, do I love this person? What does that mean? And then the sex part of it all kind of being this thing you're like trying to. Yeah, you conflate pa- everything when maybe you don't need to. Yeah. And you have all these outside forces telling you different things and you're trying to kind of make your own call, not to mention the other person and like gauging their like, what are we going to do? What are you comfortable like? Yeah. Kind of even like getting into just even discuss in, in terms of even a discussion, right? Like, and I just think the in my recollection the movie gets that energy really right which sure. i think is is no small feat and even to shout out john kasdan's uh first his directorial debut i think gets a little bit of that right too in the land of women i felt similarly about it. i don't think it was a perfect movie but i remember when i watched it i kind of feel like yeah this is kind of what it's like i was like this is a pretty good like the Kristen stewart that was like early Kristen stewart being like doing something where you're like okay like you know there is bella swan and whatever that is oh there we go <laughs> seth cohen uh, brody you can't tell with the dark-headed uh i, like, I, I have say. a type i have a type <laughs> well so it's, yes what, it's funny you say brody because i feel like i feel like uh dylan O'Brien, and maybe because brody came before but there i've is always a, wanted to write a movie with him as brothers well, no, no, just but so I, you know but i think part of it yeah they have a lot of i think energy, part of it energy. is dylan o'brien was kind of enabled to figure out what Adam Brody figured out later about himself sooner, right? Like Dylan O'Brien was able to kind of like, I feel like unlock that thing. What you're saying oh. like Adam Brody walked so Dylan O'Brien could run. Yeah, kind of sort, thing, yeah, like. yeah, no, that's exactly it, right? Like, 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 and, and I, it's, it's interesting to sort of see Man, that. Man, Seth Cohen though, I don't know that Dylan O'Brien has done anything. Seth well, Cohen captured such a cultural <laughs> thing that I don't know. Well, you're talking about my dream husband right now. So, so let me, so let me just say, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a good obviously, pick. it's a good pick. I mean, I'm a huge, uh, yeah. Adam, obviously I'm a massive Adam Brody fan. Yeah. Um, I would, I, I'll come back on someday later and we'll do Adam Brody. Those um, would be yeah. fun. Yeah. That, uh, that would be a yeah, fun piece. I, I adore yeah. Adam Brody. Um, and I think Dylan O'Brien definitely had, definitely has a very similar energy to him, especially in that way where they're, you know, they're both good looking guys, but they're innately kind of awkward and they have right. this kind of weirdness to them. And, um, and so absolutely styles in Teen Wolf is a straight up prototype or not prototype, but just an carbon uh, copy. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. Of, of, yeah. of Seth Cohen. And, um, you know, there, it's very much mind uh, in the same way. And um, and it's it's interesting that, you know, Kazden made movies with both of them and that back to back. Yeah. Um, right. So, ma- so he gets into that also, I guess. But yet none of them show up in Willow. I was going to say, and I was looking it up because I was like, what has Kazan been doing? And he developed Willow, which is about to be on Disney Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he wrote, and I guess you wrote uh, Solo. Solo, Right. Yeah. Whatever that means. Whatever that means anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, talking about first time again, I think think another thing this film gets right, not that this film is unique in that it gets this right. I think a lot of uh, media does. But, you know, everyone's first time. Hmm. 
most of those don't go great. Sure. Right. Sure. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. see a lot, you see it depicted in a lot of movies as, oh, it, it's this great experience. Let's smoke a cigarette. And like, that's usually not the way most people's right. first right. times go. It's usually awkward. It's usually stilted. It usually happens well, very yeah, much quickly. It's usually more, like, more quickly it, it, it's usually like you would anything imagine. that nobody has done before. You got to learn <laughs> yeah. and you got to figure yeah. it out. Well, it's gotta, it's not, <laughs> I think, and I think yeah. um, I, I would wager often for everybody involved it's probably pretty scary i don't know it's like oh sure you're going into uncharted territory like certainly as cool as you can act i would bet dollars to donuts most men women whoever are going in with you know an appropriate amount of fear and i think yeah you're you're not wrong other movies have done this well but i have even pre-deciding to do this episode i have recalled this movie when the you know this subject has come up, even in my memory, like recalled fondly the way it captures that moment in perhaps a more honest way than other than other movies do. And I think, yeah, now looking back and kind of revisiting, I think O'Brien probably was showing us a little bit of what he would do and do better, obviously, as he got. Oh yeah, as he he's got, got older. And he's gotten and yeah, and and it's been interesting watching him grow as an actor from movie to movie. Mm -hmm. And just watching him. And that's why I chose these four films in particular, because I think they each kind of represent sort of a, a shift in, in what sure. he's doing and how he's doing it. And um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it handles I think it handles that really well. I, I think um, I don't know why this has me <laughs> for some reason. It makes me think of the movie Nine Months. Sure. sure. When Hugh Grant yeah. and Julianne Moore, who is pregnant, are talking yeah. about having sex, she's like, what if your penis hits the baby? And yeah. It's like it's just this great, honest conversation in that movie or about that scene, like, how are we going right. to have sex if I'm pregnant? Like, I always think of the, the Seth Rogen, Catherine Heigl scene from Knocked Up where they're having sex and he like won't really ha won't really do it. He like won't really thrust because he's yeah. like, like, no, no, he. He's in there. And right, like he's Julianne like, Moore yeah, in that buddy. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, So nine yeah. months ran, or nine months walked, walked so, <laughs> so, so Knocked Up could, could run. run. Nine we, months, we that movie is wild. I love way. nine months. I am a straight up Oof. nine months defender. I think uh, I think everybody in that is so fucking funny. Down that to Robin Williams. As movie. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Robin Williams is funny in, in I love that scenes, movie. Yeah. I think that movie's a blast. Um but yeah, I but yeah, I, I think this was I think this gives you a good idea of like where he's going to go. It certainly gives you a good idea of where he was at the time in terms yeah. of Teen Wolf. The one thing that I that did stand out to me and it's not I mean, like this movie's not ground zero for it. So I'm not really putting the blame on the movie, but it just I kind of was like, oh, I did. It did all start around this time where it, it it's like a part of that inciting trend of like. If we're going to be a rom-com, we also have to be a little self-effacing and we have to kind of be meta about it and talk about rom-com tropes and how they're all dumb. Right. Like there, there's that thing of like we can't it can't earn it can't ever earnestly be a rom-com. Right. Like we always have to reference how dumb it is when certain things happen in movies. And it's like a trend that like then started to pervade like all of the, what, what now would go, you know, direct to streaming or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was it's just an interesting thing. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe this is kind of where I feel like I, I just it was more it's of funny a, to your point, even like even it, to this day, even like Ticket to Paradise has that a little bit. Like if you like Ticket to Paradise has moments where they like they kind of like nod at 
what's gonna happen next like you have like yeah. caitlin deaver kind of like calling out stuff or like billy lord like being like well well this is the part where this happens you're kind of like i don't do we need this anymore? no i guess Can and that's just, the point yeah. and i don't want to again yeah. i'm not like throwing it all on this movie because it, it it's part of a larger trend it was just more of an interesting like time stamp to me of like oh yeah i feel like 2012 2010 2012 like was where all of that started to happen where it was like rom-coms were like no we gotta wink a little bit like you know like yeah. we can't just be a rom-com right um which i thought you know i did again not specifically about this movie it was just it kind of made me sigh a little bit of like oh right like that's how these things are now um, i wonder what would have been the first to do that if you were to go back and somebody try to could track somebody it. smarter than me could probably write a really great piece about it but- you know what it was guys it was head over heels starring monica potter and <laughs> oh, <Vince> god <laughs> head Ugh. over rear rear window as a rom-com great I mean, must idea have, must have sold in the room like in a second i have to say actually well because that is one of those movies heels, they did the dollar sign for the s that's i'm why. just saying that the title's good the the pitch is good i mean i'm just saying it's like it doesn't work or whatever but yeah i could see it selling like in a minute in that room They're like well, oh yeah why well, hell we do no our, one done this before? Well, we do our monica potter episode oh god along came a spider <laughs> anyway um but so yeah so the first time it kind of barely gets to distribution, doesn't really open, doesn't really come out, comes and goes. Obviously, Jonathan Kazan kind of pivots back to, you know, writing. I don't think he's actually directed anything since, actually. Um, though maybe, I don't even, maybe he's directed episodes of Willow. I, I, that, he, that, dire- I do he, dire- he directed a movie called Roadies. Or not a movie, it was the no, series. No, right? yeah, the show. show. Yeah, he's yeah, right, 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 You're right. right, he hasn't done a, hasn't directed a movie. But then again, like, you know, In the Land of Women did not do particularly well, well either. either. Yeah. And yeah. so I think, you know, I think it was probably just a matter of <laughs> what he could get offered and not get offered. And his brother's the one who does the Jumanji movies. Jake. Jake. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the Kazdins are they're 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 taking the world by storm. Look, being um, a, being an Epo baby can still only get you so far, you know. <laughs> wait. But and, so and, you, and so wait, so Jake Kazdin, your reference point for Jake Kazdin are those movies and not Walk Hard, the Dewey well, no, no, story. No, 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 Walk Hard is his masterpiece. Yeah. Of course. No. I of also course. Love, I, just, I also love Orange County. I think Orange oh, County God, is great. Oh, God, I forgot great. about Orange County. Oh, yeah, yeah, Orange I love, County. I, I do but, love but, Orange County, But, too. you know, in fairness to, also to this cast, then, I mean, you know, wrote one of my favorite episodes of Freaks and Geeks, did a lot of sure. work on Dawson's Creek. Like, he's been, he's definitely knows his teen angst. Sure, yeah. You sure. know, he knows well, look, his teen his, angst. And look, his, I feel like their father gets a lot of shit now, I guess, but like, Lawrence Kasdan is one of the greats. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan, you say what you will. I mean, my guy wrote Empire Strikes Back. He freaking directed The Big Chill, Silverado. I mean, like, he has made some interesting movies, written some good scripts. He's worth kind of. Um, he's we, worth should kind of a, we should do a we should do a Larry Kasdan episode. Yeah, should I mean, do Grand, a Larry Canyon, Grand Canyon alone is such a cr- weird. Well, you movie. know, Big oh. Chill is a top five movie for me. So uh, I do people, love the Big Chill. People have heard me rant about Big Chill on uh, screen drafts quite a bit because my <laughs> my nemesis on that show, Darren Franich, hates the Big Chill. Well, a and- lot of people, a lot of people hate the Big Chill, and my we don't need to go down. My problem, and I may imagine, Billy well, Ray, but those people have a very specific name. They're called assholes. But, <laughs> so this is my thing, though. What I what frustrates me about people who don't like the big chill in general is i think they don't it's like the movie they're talking about not liking is not the big chill 
So oh, yeah. I don't, it's like a weird thing where it's like you're hating what you think or have convinced yourself the big chill represents. When in fact, if you watch the big chill, it's an indictment on all the things that right. you're thinking the movie's about. Doesn't, so it's one of those you things feel like where that happens like, all the time? I do. You know? I do. Like, it's like with it's that just classic any, thing any of, like, what is it called? It's like uh portrayal does not equal endorsement type of thing. Depiction. Where it's like, yeah. Depiction. Does not, depiction. Yeah. Does not, it's like, yeah. it's like the whole point of the big chill is these people are doomed. That's the whole point of the movie. It's like, yeah. you're watching these like lost, you know, kind of yuppie greatest generation, you know, adjacent people be like, Oh fuck! What do we do now? Right? We what we were promised all of this, and what do we have? It's like, and to think, I don't know, like the ennui of the of the bourgeoisie is, I guess, what like people rail against, and I just think that's so incorrect. I don't know. Anyway, but um, I really like the big chill. So, all right. So then, Dylan O'Brien, it's a pretty quick run, right? You have, like you said, Teen Wolf goes for a few more years, but then he. Kind of as a fun, I I, he, I think he is good in the internship, which is yeah. kind of the, you know, sadly neutered, you know, wedding crashes follow up doesn't really work with uh, with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, but I think he's one of the highlights, and then literally the next year, and you said it, Billy Ray, twenty fourteen, he gets the coveted lead role in the Maze Runner based on the books, and it's a huge hit. Yep. And they like immediately make the next one, right? The Scorch Trials comes out the next year. Huge hit. And then the next year, he's in, I think, one of his best movies, actually, um, which is the Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg movie, Deepwater Horizon. Which is he, the best movie to come out of the Peter, of the Berg, would, of the Berg, Berg collaboration. Agreed. I think it, yeah. I think it has to be. Yeah. I, I do kind of ride for Lone Survivor more than other people because I do think that movie is effective. But I think unequivocally Deepwater Horizon does like capture the moment the best. It's the, it's the, it's the most tense, right? Like just, it really you know that the I, I you think, know it's the b it's the bp oil spill movie yeah, right? yeah, and the yeah. way yeah. they the yeah. way they capture it and and the way they capture what i like about what i like about Deepwater horizon is it does it's that thing of you know it's like corporate greed you know all these things that all result in you know the spill itself and all the deaths and kind of you know mark Wahlberg and you know uh is it gene is it gina rodriguez i believe yes in that yes. movie and and um and obviously Dylan O'Brien are kind of like your main people. John Malkovich is in it as well. But like Kurt Russell. They're just trying to survive. Kurt Russell. Oh my God. Kurt Russell. Of course. I forgot actually. Yeah. They're just trying to survive, right? Yeah. And so I think what I like about movies like that is like you kind of have your villain, which is just profits, right? Right. Yeah. You, I think that you'll always win, right? If you just well, it's it's, a, it's it's like a 70s disaster movie. Format, yeah. yeah. And it's right? just like, like the yeah. answer to all your questions is money that will always be a correct answer to any question you ask. And it's like, it's a easy, correct villain. And like, they're just trying to get out of the way. Right. And I do, when you keep, when you simplify those movies, not unlike, right. The best versions of those seventies movies, right. Kind of airport or right. You know, tower, you know, Poseidon Poseidon adventure. I I always liked, I always liked earthquake, which I know is maybe not considered one of the best, but yeah, Poseidon adventure. Um, I think it works really well. And then the next year is our next movie, which I feel like is kind of a big swing for Dylan O'Brien because this is a pivot where he's kind of trying to get a little older on screen, right? And so he works with um, the gentleman who really show ran uh, Homeland, Michael Cuesta. Yep. 
And I think he directed L.I.E., right, Michael Cuesta? Which is like the controversial indie that put yes, Paul Dano on the that map. that was his debut, yeah. Yeah, and um, it's American Assassin, which we actually did cover in our Taylor Kitsch episode. Um, and is it just... What do you think about American Assassin, Billy Ray? What's your, what's um, your American Assassin thoughts? I actually really like this film. Um, yeah. I, I, I really think it works. I think it's I think it's a a tight, well-made action thriller. Um, this was sort of, um, yeah, this is his attempt at can I be, you know, a lead action star. Like, I'm not yeah. talking about Maze Runner, which, you know, it's its own thing. It's YA. It's very different. Like, this is I want to carry an action. Movie. And it's more of a, this, pro- a proper action movie. Yeah. yeah and yeah. this comes, I think, six months after he suffers that accident in Maze Runner 3. Uh, I think he had that accident in March of 2016. I think this starts shooting in the fall of 2016. Right, because Death Cure doesn't come out until 2018, but that's because they had to reshoot or Correct. finish Correct. the movie after this. Yeah. yeah. So this is the first thing he does after his near-death experience. So maybe it's connected. Maybe it was like, well, <laughs> I almost died. Let's start knocking off some bucket list items. I don't know. But essentially, you know, he stars as this CIA agent, you know, at the beginning of the film, they're in Ibiza. His girlfriend is killed when this jihadist. Uh, that sequence beat. is very yeah. Her- hard to watch. Heroin. Yeah, Heroin. yeah. yeah. hard and, to watch. Uh, so yeah. she's killed, and we flash forward like I think a year and a half later. He, of course, is like consumed, wanting revenge for her death. So he starts training himself, learning martial arts and how to shoot a gun and all sorts of things. He is eventually recruited uh, by the government to. Uh, uh, played by Michael Keaton and Sana Latham, who uh, is really good in this. Yeah, um, yeah, and, Latham uh, is good. Yeah, yeah, is recruited is recruited by them, and uh, it kind of follows his quest for revenge. There are some twists along the way, and um, you know this could have been made in the eighties, and it would have made just as much sense. Like it has that, it has that kind of action. Actually, maybe that's not fair. Maybe early nineties. That's is a what I was going to say. It feels Maybe like early nineties. It is a feels like nineteen ninety. Yeah, like it feels yeah. like exactly. And um, and, and but I think it. Like I said, I think it works really well. It's a super. It's a terrific cast. You know, Taylor Kitsch you mentioned as well. Uh, and uh, and it did pretty well at the box office. Like for you know for a film like this, films like these don't always do great at the box office unless it's a Fast and Furious film with Vin Diesel. Um, but you know, it did pretty well at the box office. I think he proved that he can carry a movie and, um, yeah, I think it's, I think the doomed, the doomed nature of it ultimately was that it was a CBS films movie. And I think they ended up pivoting away really from making movies. So well, sure, sure. American assassin, unfortunately, cause you're not wrong. I think it did fine. And I think for someone like Dylan O'Brien, it was solid enough that in a different scenario, you know, cause this, so for those who don't know, he's playing Mitch Rapp and Vince Flynn is the, was the, there the, are a um, lot. I was unaware of how many Mitch. Yeah, Rapp so Vince Flynn, who sadly passed away in 2013, he was only 47. He wrote a lot of these Mitch Rapp books and they're, they're airport yeah. novels. They're like huge. They're like its own huge industry of all of these books. So like, yeah, this could have been a five, you know, it was, you know, they're trying to do born, right. It's like, they're trying yeah. to do. And so I think it worked well enough to your point. I don't think, Connor and I, Connor or I like the movie quite as much as you do, but 
I'm actually gl- I'm glad you like it for that reason. What, but, I, but what but what you're saying isn't yeah. wrong. I think one thing. Keep that in dis- mind, I'm still at a B plus. Like I'm not like it's <laughs> right, not right. No, like. No, I mean, yeah. But I think, but but I do think one. It didn't work for me on on the whole. But I think one thing about the movie that has stuck with me is there is a very deep and kind of appropriate, you know, post 9-11 cynicism that seeps through the movie that I do like the whole Taylor Kitsch character is this like literal chaos agent. Yeah. Whose whole thing is like, well, let's just burn the shit to the ground because everybody's evil and fuck the world. And I kind of, I will say when he shows up and he's just raining down chaos, I was kind of like, Oh, well this is interesting in the movie like this, like, like that they added this like very, very very direct x factor to kind of like literally muddy the waters of everything that's going on i thought was an interesting choice and i would have certainly been curious to see him do more of the movies but i think unfortunately because it was this mid-major studio that kind of was on its way out it kind of came and went lionsgate ended up distributing it because cbs films kind of was done at that point um and so i don't think we'll see him do those anymore but you're not wrong i think it did fine and kind it of directly... did fine but it didn't do well enough to warrant a sequel no it did i mean so, well uh, that uh, said a lot of films get sequels that don't do well sure. enough to warrant them but <laughs> i know but to your point i mean according to whatever i'm just looking at wikipedia but like off of 33 it made 67 so you factor in public whatever publicity sure. there was into that like maybe nobody's you know maybe they're breaking even but like they're not sure they're i not, think after all said and done yeah they're, they're probably, making enough yeah. money to make it worth it for sure but so yeah. but we're all but guys bumblebee's on the horizon so it's like <laughs> oh yeah i mean absolutely the, sky's the limit yeah. which uh, now here's my question was he uncredited for bumblebee he's he's the voice of bumblebee. He, oh yeah been, yeah he, he is yeah. the voice of bumblebee i i don't remember seeing him like i don't he know he wasn't publicized yeah. he certainly yeah. wasn't publicized about anything regarding bumblebee but i'm not sure if he's uncredited or not what i need is i mean obviously what i need is Haley steinfeld and him to make a movie together where they're like t- there in person together yeah. that would be <laughs> yeah. that's what Agreed. we need it's Agreed. just a bumblebee uh in real life is what we need um <laughs> that same year 2018 is the death cure um right which, he, cured, he cured death isn't he it cures, fucking which, wild he, he that he the maze death. runner movies came out and then there was a global pandemic like i just like oh, watching dude. these movies now i'm like oh my god wow just like, yeah it but let me tell you something. this is what i kept thinking about <laughs> the whole time watching these freaking movies so and i know we're not these are a sides obviously but so the whole thing with these movies, right, is and I knew I knew less than that. Let me let me I cannot be more clear. I went into these movies literally like I if you I maybe I could have guessed what they were about at some point, but like I could have guessed what me, the first one was about. But beyond if, if, you, that, if you gave me yeah. five guesses, I would have not. Yeah. I don't know that I would have gotten there, but it's basically, you know, I guess we'll spoil a little maze right here. It's not that big of a deal is what you basically learn is this company is basically testing these kids because they hold the potential cure for this deadly virus. And um, I think if I had seen these movies before the pandemic, I would have, and this maybe, maybe speaks to my naivete, my naivete, I would have thought, I would have thought like, well, this is so evil. I don't know that anyone would do this. And then now that we've lived, you know, 
we're wherever we're at in the pandemic i'm like oh no like we actually kind of did this actually we just kind of sent people out and a lot of people died and i guess we i guess the major is kind of true i guess <laughs> well, and it's kind of doesn't it also it but it also it's it's it feels like everything from the year 2020 poured into this movie because like it's weirdly like QAnon adjacent propaganda kind of like it's like they're going to steal your kids and string them up and torture them for for their blood and they're like you know like it just feels like it just it just kind of reeks of this like oh wow okay whoa like <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know I just, Pat, I just Patty I, Clarkson just was speaking I, in platitudes yeah wasn't I expecting think, any of it I, I'll say this quick like this is my least favorite of the Maze Runner films Mm, sure. Um, yeah, I, I do think his injury sort of maybe derailed what this film could have been to a degree. Mm. I think it probably suffered a lot there. I still enjoy it. I don't think it's enjoyable enough. It does no, have it's definitely like, the third best. It also, yeah. To your point before Dan about the like the opening chase, like it it also has that sequence with the bus on the crane that's like kind of cool. So it does have like a handful of like maybe more certainly more expensive set pieces. Let than, me than the I first will, two movies. I have. will say I got it credit to to kaya scoladario just for that character is like <laughs> wow like i just to be an actress knowing you have to navigate that being without being guess, like basically too much the away. most unlike one of the most unlikable characters I, in the I movie mean, yeah. just sure what if yeah. what a challenge for a young actress and, to be and like, also don't forget about that legendary scowl of Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, he's um, so he's great. He's, he's great. great. What a what a great. like the he's exactly what that kind of character should be, which is like obviously they they're leaning a little bit on like the Breaking Bad of it all, but like when you first like he's exactly that thing of like when you first meet him you're like I don't know, but then every other time you see him later in those movies he's like such a comfort. You're just like oh, yeah yeah. yeah. I'm just well, and the other glad thing, this guy's in the room. Well, like, and that's the other thing I gotta say. The other thing I do like about these freaking movies that's a little bit weirdly like very mature and complicated. When even you know compared to like a Hunger Games or whatever, we're like basically. You know, the Jennifer Lawrence character is like a saint in those movies, right? What I yeah. like about the Maze Runner is like there's nobody's really good. Like I think that's kind of an interesting thing about the movie. It's like Barry Pepper, I guess maybe Lily uh, uh Lily Taylor, Taylor yeah. is kind of like a little sainted or whatever. But like yeah. but like everybody's like going through it, basically hates everybody else, like you know, Jean Carlo Esposito, right? Like you know, even Dylan O'Brien, like, you know, is coming from a bad, you know, he's yeah. kind of the bad guy. He's got a history. That's sport. Yeah. He's got yeah. a history. So it's like, that is surprisingly nuanced for like a YA yeah. uh, well, situation. Anyway. but yeah. And I'll say this too, and this is a spoiler alert. So people, if you, if you haven't seen these films and you want to. Yeah, skip 30 uh, seconds. Skip yeah. 30 seconds. But um, I was surprisingly impacted when Newt died. Yeah. I, it was surprisingly impactful to me when that character died. That's usually how I know if a YA series is working for is me. Working, sure. If 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 they can do that and actually make me feel something about a character. So that is a credit to Wes Ball, who I think is actually a really solid filmmaker. I'm interested to see what he does with this new Planet of the Apes movie, which yeah, I'm me too. cautiously yeah. optimistic he about. He does feel but, like the perfect kind of person to be directing those movies. If yeah. Like, I, I gave him some shit online when it was first announced because I'm such a big fan of those that that 
the most recent trilogy. The Matt Reeves. Right, I, yeah. I think I think they were just I think you knocked those out of the park. So I was like, do we really need another one? But the more I've thought about it and it's like, you know what, actually, I'm interested to see what he does. And I do think he's a good choice for it. So I think yeah, I, agree. I mean, and talking about somebody like came out of nowhere just was making like commercials and music videos with the FSU. All of a sudden he's directing this big ass franchise in his, I think like his twenties. He wasn't that old when he started directing these things. The funny thing about that, this franchise is it, is it does feel kind it does mirror, I think at least for me, like what I, what my knowledge was of Dylan O'Brien in general, which is to say like, yeah, you, you and I were talking about it off mic, Dan, like the other day, like, like you were like, oh, yeah, like they're those those movies are apparently like sneaky good and like huge hits. And I'm like, were they? And I think in my brain, I just <laughs> yeah. like I, I literally I compare it to like, you know, uh, the in the divergent movies and stuff like so it's just oh, it, it occupies yeah. that same space. So I'm like, were they like, I guess. But in the same way, Billy Ray, that you're saying like, yeah, like Dylan O'Brien, like the popular guy people like and i'm like i guess so like sure if you say so yeah and it but it is one of those things you like you look at the numbers and i'm like yeah i don't know like the most expensive one was like 68 million dollars and still made basically 300 million like yeah so to your point like yeah good for west ball just kind of coming out and yeah you know kicking out affordable little hits like yeah absolutely and and like i said not the best of the franchise but uh third best in a good franchise is just fine Sure. Yeah, and then so you know the and then, um, twenty twenty you get our third movie, Love and Monsters. You also get a movie called Flashback, which I don't honestly know much about. Did you see? Have you seen this? Oh yeah. What do you think about this? Absolutely, absolutely saw it. Um, it's a very weird movie. I I don't, I don't love it. Um, it's it's just super bizarre, and I don't know that it entirely knows what it wants to be. Mm. Um, but it's interesting and it's a definitely a very different kind of role for Dylan O'Brien. Like he's definitely playing this character who's going through all sorts of like, you know, psychological turmoil. He's, he's, I mean, definitely full on drama, uh, horror mode. And I think he does a really good job with it. It's, it, it's an outlier in his filmography for sure. He's done nothing like this and he's got a new movie coming out. I think it's called the disappearance of Caddo Lake which is coming out in 2023, which sounds like it's similar fruit to this. It sounds like he's mm. going back in that kind of psychological horror realm, yeah, the, which the I'm vani- really... Yeah, the vanishings at Cato Lake. Yeah, yeah. vanishings at Cato. Yeah, and so I'm interested in that too. Like, I, I'm really interested to see, because I, I think I think he's in the right zone here. I just don't know that the movie is matching him in any substantive way. Um, yeah. But it's, it's worth watching. It's on my Blu-ray shelf, so I, I liked it enough to get it, so... Yeah, and I think it just kind of became available and got released in 2021, it sounds like. It got dumped. It straight up got dumped. It was originally called uh, The Education of Frederick Fitzel. I think it played at Sitches and made a couple other festivals, but then just got dumped. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, So that same year, Love and Monsters comes out. And my kind of – so I remember Love and Monsters as a positive – Oh, this movie came out really in the heart of the pandemic, right? And yeah, but I remember it being like, "Oh, this movie's good." Like I remember like hearing like, "Oh, if you can go see this movie, this is actually a pretty good movie." And it was like, 
you know, and it came, it went like so many movies during that time period, right? It came out basically in the fall of 2020 when it was the like, pandemic actually, I think kind of fucked Dylan O'Brien in this run. I actually think this film could have done really well. Sure. If no, it I had, agree. Uh, this I this agree had the you. potential to be like a, uh, to really be a hit. And Cause it only got, cost 30 million. So it's yeah, like, yeah. it was totally well, fucked and it by has, the pandemic. And, and it, 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 I mean, look, it has the energy and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they said this in every meeting to get any, you know, every million of that 30 million. It, the energy is zombie land, right? It's like very like, that's the energy. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's like earnest, but, but sardonic in its own way. And I think this is the love and monsters is probably a little bit more earnest than the zombie land movies, but yeah, I would, but, I would agree with that. I would also say it's better than the zombie land movies. I think it's I probably yeah. better than both of the zombie yeah. land movies. I think, and I think, and look, to bring it back to Dylan O'Brien, I think that has a lot to do actually with him. And in the case of, you know, you have a lot of like Michael Rooker's in this movie, early yeah. Jessica Henwick, who I think is one of those actors who like, I mean, at least in my opinion, like just invites the camera. Like she's, she has something, I don't know what it is, yeah. but like she really like it grabs the camera. Yeah. Like the camera really loves her. And I think she's in this movie and that, that helps a lot. And, yeah she's yeah. great she this was my first exposure to her really and, and she was great in this and i, I mean i I'm, I'm an unabashed like this was one of my top i think maybe three movies of 2020 like and, I, okay. adore, I, ad o oscar nominee love and monsters yeah yeah i adore this movie All i right. think i think it is i think it's so warm and genuine but also like and there are moments in this movie that were some of the most beautiful sequences I saw all of 2020. Like that whole sequence with him at the, in there with the robot that I, is slowly fading. Yeah. The two of them sitting on that front stoop, yeah. watching all of those creatures float in the air is one of the jellyfish. most stunningly gorgeous yeah, yeah. scenes. And I yeah. was a wreck. Like I was weeping at the end of that scene. I thought it was so beautifully done. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of that credit to Mr. Duffield there because you know at hell. Talk about someone who had an incredible 2020, like Brian Duffield, between this spontaneous and underwater, like one hell of a right. year underwater for, for, yeah, for yeah, Brian. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I just I, I there's just something to me so magical about this movie. And um, the, and I don't think and and I think it also manages to do something that a majority of films don't. It sticks the landing for me. Like I feel like the third yeah. act of this film works, and it's it's really yeah. kind of an unusual ending, but I think it works. And um, you know the way that the character of the captain is introduced, which is such an unexpected character to yeah. come in at that point in the movie, and the way that they that all you know goes out, I think works really well. And I think he is playing on Dylan O'Brien being the he. This is a good showcase for that awkward nervous energy that he just innately has and and this is so this is going back to his sweet spot from like teen wolf and first time like this is very much in that but, but it's, it's also honed, kind it's, of a blend it's with and like, it's honed in it's like yeah it's, he's like crafted it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah but it's also kind of he also gets to be the action hero again to some degree yeah like the real in some ways and so um yeah i just adore this film i i think it's one that still a lot of people have not seen and uh and yeah, I, it's currently I'm, on Prime, and yeah. I, it certainly, I would. It's an easy recommendation. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend this to. It's like a you know breezy my, hundred nine minutes. You know, like my, yeah. my yeah. you know my mid twenties brother, my you know, you know my older 
you know, forties, fifties friends, like anybody, I think it's a, it's a Thanksgiving, it's a Thanksgiving episode. If you're sitting down with whoever and you're looking for something to just throw on that, it is nice. Great call. Is it's a great you could, call. You could put this on. It's well, like it's, actually this and the movie we're going to talk about are kind of yeah. I feel like two actually great like yeah, the outfit. Black, yeah, the Black, Black yeah. Friday yeah. having a turkey sandwich, uh, you know, on the couch kind of movies. It's um, also an unconventional kind of role for Michael Rooker, which I like. Like you don't normally get to see Michael Rooker play like the straight up good guy. He's so like, tender in this. Or not these days. Like these yeah. days, like you used to. Like, you know, he's a great cliffhanger. But like these days, he's generally playing someone who's a little seedier or has yeah. some like dark intentions. And this one, he's just kind of a good guy. Yeah. He's like a good guy doing good things. And it's like, it's nice seeing him and he plays it great. Yeah. So it's nice seeing him do that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and just quickly, we obviously will not spoil anything in this movie just because it's very fresh and, and we're all recommending it. But it's basically um, what we the premise of this movie is an asteroid was heading to uh, heading for Earth. Uh, all of the countries shot a bunch of missiles that had chemicals in them, obviously, at the asteroid, destroyed the asteroid. But the fallout from the missiles and, and the explosion of the asteroid resulted in basically all of these normal, quote unquote, normal creatures, insects, you know, all, frogs. All, basically all cold blooded animals. It's all, yeah, all animals. like amphibious, yeah. like cold blooded animals becoming these mutated varying monsters. degrees of monsters. Yeah. Right. So what was a normal world to whatever degree that means is now rife with, you know, like slaw or not sloths like uh, slugs that are huge mm. and you know what have you toads and, so, and all sorts of stuff toads yeah. and so we start there and dylan o'brien is with this within this kind of underground compound but everybody's coupled off and he's the only one who hasn't he's like you know seventh you know the seventh uh uh what's it called yeah, you know, third. What is it? The third light wheel. Like he's like third the seventh wheel. wheel. He cooks. Yeah, <laughs> he cooks. Yeah, he cooks. Yeah. And his his first love, Jessica Henwick, in this case, is at like another compound. What is it? Like ninety miles away or something like that. Yeah. And he, though he's kind of he freezes when it's time to fight the monsters, and he's altogether not really capable of defending himself. He makes the bold choice to go on a one man expedition to go find her. And that's the whole movie, right? And he runs into people along the way. He fights monsters, obviously. And yeah, you're right. It's a good example of, you know, Brian Duffield obviously has had a lot of blacklist screenplays. He's kind of a very accomplished screenwriter. Um, And I think this and underwater are both good examples of kind of like, honestly, they're good. Like if you're trying to write for this current day and age, and like, I don't know, get noticed and all these things. Though These are two actually good examples of kind of what to try to do, which is like, you know, work in these genre, you know, arenas and then basically try to. And maybe they're differ- like, maybe they're diversify. like, half, they're, they're like half yeah. riffs on other movies a little bit. Right. Yeah, like, Try to diversify, yeah. you know, the narrative. And I think Love and Monsters and Underwater in, in actually very different ways, which is a credit to him as a writer. Um, 
they both do that. I, I think both movies are very solid, actually. Um, and, and he's written other things too. But well, yeah, like, and I would throw Spontaneous in there too. I think I haven't seen. I didn't want to. I, I, I think it, Spontaneous so, yeah. is borderline a masterpiece. So okay, okay. Yeah. Now that's Charlie Plummer in that one. Is that right? Yeah, Charlie Plummer is in that. And um, oh god, why am I going blank on her name? Was it Daniel D. Lewis? No, or? from uh, Thirteen <laughs> Reasons Why. Catherine uh, Langford. Yeah, that's it. Catherine Lang from Thirteen Reasons Why. Yeah, that's an amazing movie. Uh, for folks who haven't seen it, spontaneous and uh, and he wrote and directed that one. Oh, he, um, oh, he directed that. Yeah, oh, he yeah. directed that one too. And it's it's just it's a wonderful film. And uh, I I think he is so good at writing for uh, younger actors. Mm. And um, and I think part of what I, I think part of what he gets right about this script, and because it 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 teeters up to the line of corny and cheesy several times but it doesn't cross the line and so he's got a really good grasp on tone he's got a really good grasp on knowing when to pull back and um as a writer as a writer obviously you know i don't want to discount the director in this situation either which is michael matthews who hasn't done a lot but i know has a some sort of merlin movie in the works that he's supposed to be directing Hmm. um but uh, yeah i just think this film gets it, it wears its heart on its sleeve, but I think that's okay in this case. And, um, I, you know, I, again, I think if this had come out outside of the pandemic, it would have, you know, it's not going to do Marvel numbers, but I think it would have done really well. I think it only cost 30 million. I think yeah. it would have, you know, tripled its budget, probably maybe crossed the hundred million dollar mark. Like, I think it could have done really well, but just kind of just a, you know, victim of circumstance and based and on I, when it's released. <sighs> I think not to not to be reductive, but I think and feel, you know, feel gentlemen, feel free to disagree with me. I think you're also seeing in this movie in this movie and then in also in the outfit to some degree, which is our, our final movie. He's kind of also growing into his like handsomeness. Like he seems yeah, he feels sure. even more yeah. handsome it, in yeah. these last it, two movies. It also yeah, I mean, helps. It helps. And maybe this is a good segue to the outfit, but it helps that like that also feels like maybe the first I guess American Assassin to a degree too, but the outfit to me feels like the first movie, at least of the ones that we've talked about, that like he's playing exactly his age, right? Like it's not he's not trying to slip into he's like, not playing young. He's not playing young, right? Yeah. And he's yeah. but he's not exactly he might he's not necessarily playing older either, right? Like it's it's yeah. kind of right there. Um and it feels right. And but but yeah, I think with Love and Monsters, yeah, it's there's a I think that what you're talking about, Dan, is paired with what Billy Ray was talking about before, which is that it is this evolution of that like awkward dude in a with a in like a handsome, more handsome man's but in like an Abercrombie model's body, right? Or what like yeah, you know, or whatever, like that, that kind of thing. And yeah, it's like more honed in and a little bit more lived in, which I think makes it feel a little bit more naturalistic, which is which is helpful. And I do think like it I I, you you had kind of mentioned this off mic the other day, Dan, but like I do think I I found myself almost wishing like the minute, you know, it's Jessica Henwick. I was like, oh, I wish she was like they had a way to like put her in this movie more like Mm. Almost. And I know that's not the point of the movie or anything, but it was just this thing of like you could just you could almost just as easily swap the two roles or something and the movie's still just as good. Well, yeah, I, because I of how good you, of Connor, perf- perform I, she is, you know, but yeah, as much as I like Dylan O'Brien, 
I respond more to Henwick. Heresy, heresy, heresy. And I was making a joke. Billy Bill has gotten up. He's walked away. No, he's gone. He's exited the Zoom. Inaccurate. I had said if Henwick had been the O'Brien role and O'Brien had been the Henwick role, I feel like I might have liked him more. But I really liked it the way it was anyway, so it's okay. But, I also do want to shout out. But I just out, was responding to it. Like to I said, it, it, got not, it got nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated for Best Visual Effects that year. And obviously, there's like a little bit of an asterisk to it. No, or, don't or say whatever. that. Don't say no, that. I, I don't mean, like that. I'm just saying it was, the, it was that year, right? You know, I don't a, like the asterisk a, thing. It's, a diff- it's the context of the time. It's, it a, di- it's um, a different year. But fun fact. I just want to say real quick because I just was looking it up. Jessica Henwick also in Underwater. Funny enough. Oh, so. interesting. Yeah. Anyway, um, but, but yeah, um, no, yeah. but I, I to the point of the VFX, like they look for a thirty million dollar movie, they like, look they, good. They yeah. look great. They look good. So like the Oscar, well deserved. That team clearly worked very hard, and like the creature design in this movie, which is obviously you know that's fifty percent of the battle with a movie like this, is lovely. Like it, yeah. It, it reminded me a lot of um, that fucking great scene in Peter Jackson's King Kong where they all fall down into that like ravine. And well, it's Skull, it, it's Skull Island. In in not in the no, but not in the Skull Island. Uh, no, no, no. King well, on on Skull, Skull Island, Island. Yes, in, in, in King, Kong. King Kong. But wait, but wait. This doesn't make sense. I don't know if you know this, but there are no great scenes in that movie. <laughs> oh, so I, I'm sorry God. to be the one to break it to you. Wow. Now Connor's leaving the zoo. Now Connor's leaving the zoo. Now Connor's leaving the zoo. No, I it, I just love that there's a scene where I guess spoiler alert, whatever. Andy Circus in that movie gets like eaten by these like leeches, and it's like super. It's like a, just a whole scene filled with like creepy crawlies and it's a great it's like a great scene and this almost is kind of like a whole movie of like scenes like that over and over and over well, again yeah. and it and it does a great job though of like kind of oscillating between like oh that somehow just gets me in my gag reflex ver- and and then immediately going like oh but it is like kind of cute though well, no, it's, they a range from cute. it's a snail <laughs> they range from cute to terrifying yeah yeah and it's there's it's a lot very of, good yeah there's a lot of jumanji energy that runs through this sure, movie sure and sure it, you know it, you know jumanji walked so love and monsters could run there you go and i mean the original not the okay yes. sequel and the tepid third film sure sure um, but yeah, no, I, I just I, this is a film but that tepid I, is tepid is the perfect it, world it, for that. It's yeah. somehow generous too. <laughs> oh, tepid, yeah, great I, word. I, this tepid. is just a film that I really hope. I've I've just said this since day one. I hope more people discover it because sure. I think it's one of those pandemic movies that kind of just gets mm. lost. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think I, I don't know anybody that I've recommended this to film to who has it just been like, oh, that was that was lovely. Yeah, yeah. that was just lovely. Yeah, it's an yeah. easy movie. It's always nice to have an easy like we said before, it's it's rare and nice to have an easy movie where like you would comfortably recommend it to most anybody. Right. It wouldn't yeah. be you would have to caveat like, oh, it's it's like, a, a little violent. No, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a winning. You know, it's, a, it's a winning picture. It's got and with like the a, exception yes. of yeah. one person like they're all good people. Yeah, like it's mostly right. good, that's actually, people. That's a that's a great that's a great yeah. point. It and it it th- this is the weird sort of maybe tragic irony of the movie though, right? Is like it's a financial failure because of the pandemic, right? Which I mean, I don't you know it gets obviously picked up for streaming, right? So who knows how much they made out of that? But With like, a budget that low, it might have ended up at least yeah, breaking who, even. Who's, yeah, who's to say? But but on paper, at least you know it, it's it's a financial failure. 
because of the pandemic. But weirdly, I think all of the things that really feel nice about it are also because of the pandemic. Yeah. Where of like, oh, yeah, it does suck to feel cooped up and be inside all the time and you want to get up and go out and like maybe maybe you think people are awful and maybe they are but sometimes they're good and that feels nice like all yeah. of that stuff is stuff that i feel like is stuff that just got highlighted b because of 2020 at the same time so yeah good point well yeah. great dog performance too excellent great dog, dog great dog performance excellent yeah. dog performance i did immediately go on does the dog die.com because <laughs> i was because i was like well i'm not i'm gonna turn it off right now if this dog's gonna die no nope. what dog does but not luckily, die the dog does not die. the dog um, survives so our final movie um like we said earlier came out earlier this year 2022 directed by graham moore who won an oscar for writing the imitation game yep um uh this movie's called the outfit uh it's a title that means two different things. We call that a double entendre. Uh, double uh, entendre. I didn't know you spoke Spanish. And so See. Uh, <laughs> Connor, do you want to just briefly yeah, yeah. tell us what this I'll, is? I'll, and I'll we'll take go us through this one. Um yeah, it's a it's a kind of a a, a basically a chamber piece uh crime thriller. Um, set in gangsta picture. Yes, a gangsta film set in uh, set in Chicago in the late 1950s. Uh, Mark Rylance plays Leonard, a, a sp very specifically a cutter, not a tailor, but he he, he makes suits, uh, gentlemen's suits, and his shop also serves as kind of a not a front, but just a a place as as a sort of a drop it's like for, a repository yeah yeah. it's like a drop Yeah, it's a drop it's a drop a, tailor shop yeah, yeah yeah as a a drop a drop shop a drop shop uh for the local crime family the the boyle family um and you have uh his secretary receptionist played by zoe deutsch who's kind of like a surrogate daughter type figure to him um and you have these two gangsters one is dylan o'brien who is the son of sort of the local hotshot uh head of the irish yeah, mob head yeah. of the irish mob he's sort of next in line to the throne as it were and then you have uh francis played by johnny flynn who's kind of the more of the heavy clearly i mean in my mind my my brain went straight to like he's like a version of richard widmark from oh, yeah. kiss sure. death right like sure. that's i mean that's like what he's doing exactly yeah. he's literally like what if, can i just be richard yeah, widmark? yeah. he does yeah. a pretty good job of it but that's clearly like the thing that he's going for um and essentially, it just becomes this. I I almost don't want to get too far in the plot because it is a movie that just does benefit from things unfolding. But it just gets into kind of there is this mysterious uh, firm that was sort of set up by Al Capone called the Outfit, which is sort of a larger grouping of crime families, and you sort of get inducted into it if you reach a certain status or whatever. And the Boyle crime family is sort of working its way to that status. So it's a very high stakes kind of thing. There is a clear turf war going on sort of in the surrounding events of this movie. And Mark Rylance and Zoe Deutsch are kind of getting caught up in the middle of it. 
basically as Dylan O'Brien and Johnny Flynn kind of come in and out of their shop and you get the idea. It all feels very much like a play. Like, like I said, it's a chamber piece. So it, it has like stage energy to it in that regard. Um, and as things unfold, certain people know, maybe know more than you think they would and pasts get revealed and that kind of stuff. But it's a tightly wound, uh, really kind of lean little thriller. It's under two hours. Um, and that's kind of it generally plot wise. Again, I don't want to almost get too much into it, uh, or maybe we'll, we will at some point if we, it's our last movie. So maybe we'll mark spoilers at a point. Uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, I think this is the best movie of the four of our four B sides for sure. Um, I think he, it's the most like, I, it was fun to, I liked this movie when I saw it earlier this year and it's nice to rewatch it in the context of having watched all these other things, kind of like what you were talking about before Billy Ray. Cause it is just, it feels like it, see I've, you've seen this growth into like, Oh no, you do got it, man. Like you do yeah. like, yeah. As the kind of young buck, like trying to prove himself, but he's kind of really just a weakling, like type of, uh, type of character. Um, but he, it's not like a, it's not like you, he's not like a Fredo, you know, it's like, yeah. he's like, or it's like, he, he's like, if, hey, he's, he's like, like he's if like, Fredo he's... was more like Sonny. Like, it's like, if, he's like if Fredo acted well, he like thinks, Sonny. He thinks <laughs> like... he's Sonny, but he's really Fredo, yes, right? That, yes, yeah. that's exactly that's, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a good way to describe him in this too. And this is very much like this and not okay, which is the film he did after that are both mm. very much like just care supporting character roles in both of those films. And yeah. um I I agree with you. I think this is the best of the four films we're discussing. This is my currently I think my third or fourth favorite film of the year. Good pick. I, I yeah. adore this film. I I I think um and and Dylan O'Brien is a big part of that, but also I mean I mean I've been saying since I saw him in a production of Jerusalem going on now 20 years ago, I've been saying there's probably not a better actor on the planet than Mark Rylance. Well, and wasn't it yeah. Mark Rylance? Wasn't it? Wasn't it Jerusalem and Wolf Hall that kind of put him yes. in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, put it in our world, but he's been lighting right, up the so. British stages for ages. And the mm, fact that yeah. you have, I mean, you legitimately have the two most respected and acclaimed British actors working today, in Mark Rylance and Simon Russell Beale. Yeah. Like going toe to toe in this movie, which in itself it's a great scene. It's such is a, a good beautiful scene thing yeah. to watch. But Mark Rylance, some of the work that he does in the final third act of this film, no one has come close to it in my mind acting all year long. I it's think, also such a I think we'll get yeah. to it in a second because I don't yeah. want to spoil, but it is such a nice, like different thing. <laughs> I saw this in theaters and I remember it was I had seen a couple other things in theaters, but it was definitely like going to see it. I was like, oh, I'm kind of back seeing this movie. This is nice. And then the movie started and I was like, oh, wow. And Mark Rylance is the lead of this movie. And you yeah. kind of like it almost like took me by surprise mm -hmm. sitting in the theater realizing. Yes. And also not to mention we this episode's not about her, but. And, you know, she's in Not Okay also with, with Dylan O'Brien. Zoe Deutsch is, is to me, almost similar to Dylan O'Brien in that I'm really rooting for her. I think she's got it as well. Yeah. And I I would say maybe she hasn't had the luck of making all this, you know, 
the same ratio of good decisions yeah. that Dylan O'Brien has seemed to have made so far. But she seems like she's going in the right direction. And I feel like the outfit, she's very good in. I have not seen Not Okay yet, but I like... I think I like the way she's going. So similarly, well, what's working against Zoe Deutsch is that she is hitting her prime at the same time as Haley Lou Richardson. Mm. Yeah, sure. Who are, I, I guarantee you have gone out for a lot of the same roles. Sure. Yeah. And, I and as much as I like Zoe Deutsch, I think Haley Lou has her just a bit. Like, I think she's just got a little bit more something going on there. And I think, and I think that's kind of, but that said, like I saw, I think she's tremendous and not okay. I think she gives a hell of a fantastic performance in that film. And, um, and she's great in this, like she's really on fire here and has a mm-hmm. lot of really awesome scenes, but I mean, this is a capital L lead performance from Mark Rylance. Yeah. yeah. Like yes. this is, yeah. this is his movie top to bottom. Like all these people come and go, but he's almost like the puppet master just make everything is happening through because of and with him and yeah. oh he's the kind he well just in this it's he's just the kind of performer that like clearly makes everybody around him better like yeah and and again i that's not to disparage anybody like everybody in the, the, the I, that's just my way of saying like everybody in this movie is doing great work and that's so crucial because it's so small that like if any one of these performances didn't work the mo- the hmm. whole movie falls apart because it's like Absolutely. six people right so like if Zoe or Dylan or Johnny are not showing up for whatever reason yeah. it just really doesn't work and they all do because they all do great work of the, in this movie. I can't imagine that isn't at least in some part to the fact yeah. that like Rylan's just feels like a very generous scene partner. Like he, yeah. fe- it just all of yeah. it, I think really seems to come together really nicely. I don't know that there's any actor in film today that listens better than Mark Rylance. <laughs> sure. In a sure. film. Like yeah. I, it's weird when I'm watching an actor and I'm noticing how he's listening, but mm-hmm. he's, and, and, and I don't know that anybody can say more with zero facial expression. Sure. Like he can have no expression on his face and you know exactly what he's thinking. Well, yeah, Bridge, I mean, Bridge of Spies is, is all that. I mean, yeah. he's yeah. almost out acting and, Tom Hanks without saying anything in those oh, scenes. Yeah. And, it's and kind Bo- of incredible. I would Bo- even say not even almost. I think he is I, out I, acting. I, agree. Hanks, and I would probably. say Bones and All is a good example, too. It's coming out this weekend for folks who want to see it. But he is tremendous in Bones and All. Like, hmm. give the guy a supporting actor, Oscar, like, just the menace that he can carry in doing absolutely nothing menacing at all what, to is the point, so inspiring to the point where I would argue his my least favorite performances from Love Islands are the ones that are like extroverted or like doing more like I think about and granted you know, I know not, what you mean not great necessarily examples but like I look at like a Ready Player One or a uh what's the astro don't look up right there where they're more yeah. mannered per- performances he's like putting a little bit more sauce on it like those performances work far less for me than than the ones we're talking about because I, yeah to your point uh billy ray he like he does so well with little right like with yeah an introversion um and yeah, it, I mean, that's all this movie is. I mean, this movie also has the thing of it has a like a a sprinkling of of what we call competence porn, right? Where it's like 
it's just fun to watch somebody be really good at a job. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so even just those little moments where he's like explaining, you know, just his job, you're kind of like, yeah, I could listen to Mark Rylance talk about how to make a suit for fucking two hours. Oh, yeah. If they just made it that, you know. And he's got um, some great monologues in this film, too, which, of course, if you want a good monologue delivered, you're going to go to the greatest British actor of his generation. Sure. But, man, he just nails them. He just nails them. And I, I mean, can we get into spoiler talk? I, I think we I think we have to. I mean, again, okay. this is our la- this is our last movie. Yeah. So I think from here on out, because obviously I, you can you can pause it. You can turn it off. You can come back. I will say again, uh, if you haven't left or stopped listening, that th- I do think this movie is like a perfect Thanksgiving weekend movie. Like it's a great just like throw it on and it's kind of quiet and comfy and cozy, but it's only you know, a hundred and some odd minutes. So, uh, do check it out. But yeah, I think just to get into spoilers, continue your thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, like the whole movie, you're, you're sort of waiting on a Mm -hmm. big reveal with his character, like, cause you know, there's something there, Yeah. but then something will get revealed and you're like, Oh, well maybe that's the reveal. And I was just wrong on what I was thinking. Yeah. There are a couple like, and there's a couple of like couple of red herrings herrings, then when it finally does get to the reveal i found it so satisfying and it's so it's the furthest (laughs) from the thing that i thought it was gonna be like when he rolls up that sleeve and you see that tattoo you're like oh shit holy shit like Like, yeah like you're like something's about to go down because you just assume the whole movie (laughs) you're like oh he was a tailor cutter whatever for like the mob in Savile Row in London and something went wrong. Like he was doing the same thing there that he's doing here. And that's kind of what the movie leads you to believe. And then the minute he like rolls up the sleeves and you just see all the gang tats, basically you're just like, Oh damn, no, this motherfucker has killed so many people, (laughs) like probably very easily. Like, yeah, I think the one, the one thing that I don't look, I I do think the movie kind of, it doesn't ruin the movie, but I do think it's a it's a tad clumsy for my taste is I think the movie kind of over, weirdly for a, a performance that does not a lot of talking for most of the movie. He almost, I think, over explains that element of it a little bit too much for me, where like I felt like visually the cue could have just been him rolling up his sleeves. You know what I mean? And you just sure. And you're, and I mean, you're just I, like, oh, no. I, OK, I know everything. Yeah. I need to know. Yeah. I, I guess I, I, I get where you're coming from. I didn't think it was too much, but I get what I get what you're saying. Um, I, I just I, a part of it is because I, I don't ever want him to stop talking. So I'm yeah. OK with that. Like, yeah, I sure, wanna, sure, If sure. I want anybody to give me a a, an ex, a background an, reveal, an exposition sure, reveal, yeah, yeah, I yeah, want yeah. it to be Mark Rylance. Sure. Like, that's who I want to hear. That's it a from. fair point. That's a fair and, point. But yeah, he but yeah, that the whole ending of this film, I, I was just it, it. I left this theater on cloud nine when I saw this film. Yeah. I was like and I had no expectations going in. I knew Did nothing you know about anything it. about it. Yeah, I, I, I knew I, very yeah. little. I knew Dylan O'Brien was in it. I knew Mark Rylance was in it. That was enough for me. I didn't even know Simon Russell Beale was in it until I got there. Yeah. And it was like, holy shit. Like, OK. And yeah. um and yeah, I just boy, oh boy, this one. I mean, this is probably it's not my favorite Dylan O'Brien performance, but it's my favorite film that he's ever been in. And it's a good. And yeah, I, it's yeah. a good it's it's encouraging in the in that aspect of it, because you're just to your point before, like, yeah, you're like, oh, he's like making good choices, making like good he, choices. He's like recognizing the good work he does. 
at my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is the scene where after he's gotten shot right and Rylance has stitched him up stitched him up and uh Johnny Flynn has left or whatever and they're sitting in the chair and Rylance yeah. very candidly is like I'm the rat and then Dylan O'Brien basically laughs at him and doesn't believe like that but that yeah. whole scene yeah. where he's like talking to him about his background and you almost get the sense like there's like a, a sneaky sadness to O'Brien's performance because he's almost like I've now spoken to this dude more intimately than I have ever with my own father. Kind of like yeah. it's just this like very like casually intimate conversation that just flows so freely. And it's yeah, I Dylan O'Brien, that that level of kind of it's 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 a version of the thing we've been talking about, but that that. Um, very intentional lack of confidence, right? Yeah. But that he's like throwing a performance on a performance with it, which I think is really impressive when actors can do this, where it's like, okay, I have to not be confident, but then I have to throw another thing on that of someone who is trying to hide the fact that they yeah. are not yeah. confident. And and it's, it's such a great performance for that reason. Well, and I think, you know, speaking of the Fredo-ness of, of sure. the Richie Boyle character, he is capturing, perhaps in a way he hasn't really captured this in any of his other roles, desperation really well, which mm. I think is kind of an underrated, very, um, you know, you have to, I think you have to displace some of your ego to do that and to play pathetic, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And play it well, which I think he does. Um, and I think you said this was his best movie he's been in. I think I would say this is my also my favorite performance that I've seen because almost for that reason, which is counter to what you were the point you're making before. There's so much you're seeing him inject without doing too much, and maybe to uh, the larger point some of that credit is to Rylance just being in the sure. same room as a guy who is just doing that and has made a literal, you know, incredible career of doing versions of that. Maybe that rubs off and maybe that'll be a spark plug for the rest of his career. But I think Dylan O'Brien is really kind of expanding his toolbox in real time in this movie um, and I think Zoe Deutsch is actually too, to some degree, but yeah. but maybe 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 less so. But but O'Brien is really like very very impressive, and just and like what I like too is he is doomed immediately. Oh, yeah. I think he he plays it well. Like the minute you see him, right? Not unlike Fredo, not unlike characters in the Fredo type of a fold. The minute he walks in to that tailor shop, be like, "Oh, this guy is cooked. Like yeah. it's over. <laughs> yeah. he, my guy ain't making it out of this tailor shop, yeah. and it's nobody's hiding it. Graham Moore's not hiding it. Yeah. Dylan Bill Bryan's not hiding it. And yet, you still very, you still feel for him when when what happened. You know when he when he when he you know and it, when he's killed. It's you know? a credit to. I mean, it, and again, this also might be going back to what I was saying about like Rylance being a very you know generous scene partner or whatever. But like it's a credit to all involved that he's not blowing any of them off the screen. Right. Like, yeah. like yeah. that they're all 
to some yeah. manner, you know, he's, al- he's allowing to... other people to shine. Yeah. Like yeah, he, he knows, he knows his level. Like he's so fucking skilled. He knows his level so well. Like he knows exactly how to modulate yeah. to let someone else take the center stage. Well, and it's part of the, but it also, it's such an interesting thing to watch because it's like, it's ingrained also in the plot of the movie, right? It's yeah. just a character who is literally like, I'm going to let you just yeah. do you. And sometimes that means my own safety and sometimes yeah. that means me giving you just enough rope to hang yourself like it's like yeah. that kind of stuff right and he's like, he observes like he yeah, spends yeah. most of this movie just it's, observing people and it's a, observing behaviors i almost I, I i don't often say this about certain movies but i almost would love to see this on the stage because oh, yeah. i feel like yeah i mean i obviously it lends itself to that but like it, more than like I, you know i don't know other chamber movies do I, this kind of for that exact reason billy ray like i would love to see rylance on stage just doing this quietly you know i can imagine in, in, being in a, in a packed in a theater watching a stage production of this and him rolling up those sleeves at the yeah, end of the yeah. fucking like, exactly i can imagine the reaction in a packed theater with something yeah, like that yeah it would be amazing yeah and um, for anybody who's seen a lot of his stage work like copenhagen or stuff like that like this movie is more reminiscent to me of his best stage work than any of the other stuff that he's done um it just it kind of brings me back to, and he's done a lot of great work mind you but um, this is the one that kind of harkens back to that more for me than any of his other stuff. And let me, I was, this is kind of, I just was going to offer this because we mentioned Rylance working, collaborating with his, his, you know, his supporting actors and that coming through. I feel like so often we say stuff like that on this podcast and other podcasts. And, and I always think so rarely do we offer the opposite as like a example of, of the others. Of, of when, when when that's not happening and so while you guys were just talking i was trying to think of a good example of like what's an example of, of when that when you have actors acting against each other and they're like acting at each other right sure maybe not collaborating and the movie that the first movie that came to my mind and it's not even a movie i frankly mind really i probably like this movie more than most pe- people nowadays but the movie that i couldn't stop thinking of was blood diamond uh, which is Leo DiCaprio, Jennifer Connelly, Jimon Honsu, all great actors. But that's a good example of like, if you watch that movie, it does feel like Leo is trying to act out, a- out act Jimon Honsu and vice versa. And when Leo is going up again, going, he's acting, you know, across from Jennifer Connelly, the same thing. It feels like there isn't a yeah. lot of synergy. It feels yeah. like there maybe egos are getting in the way of something. This is all I'm like guessing here, but this is just me watching the movie. So just as like a counterpoint to what we're saying to give you a context, like the outfit, it feels like it is theatrical. Well, and it, not it, the not like theatrical yeah. meaning like on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and maybe a movie like that it's, Zwick movie. It's the kind of I'd be curious to know about the production of it in terms of what they're just how they did it in ter- like in terms of you know prep and things like that because it yeah. does it the reason it, i mean again even outside of the setting the reason it feels so much like a stage play is it feels like a thing that a group of seven people ran through for 6 hours a day for months and months and well, months. Very like much, just, you can see the co- the covid production yeah and but it all just feels lived in like everything it. that they're doing just feels so like uh it it feels like actual chemistry across the board that comes from just literally being you know 
on stage with people for for a certain yeah. amount of time or whatever. Well, and um, and also th- just technically, like you know, it's shot by Dick Pope. Yeah, production design is incredible. The, the score, score, yeah, is, is great. Is great. Like, technically, across the board, yeah. it's gorgeous. Like it, it's such a you just don't we don't get a lot of adult dramas anymore theatrically released at this caliber of actor and this caliber mm. of production. And so whenever I get them, I just savor them because it's it's such a rare thing. Yeah, no, it's so true. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you know, just as we kind of get to this, you know, now, now we're in, you know, the present with, with Dylan O'Brien. I mean, I did watch All Too Well. We mentioned earlier the Taylor Swift, yeah. you know, short film. I think... I don't think there's much there there. I mean, I, 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 I look, I like Taylor's, I, I like Taylor Swift's music quite a bit, actually. I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I think Sadie Sink's pretty good in, in the film. She's playing like yeah. young Taylor and Dylan O'Brien's kind of playing a Jake Dylan all surrogate, I suppose. Um, It's just a movie. It's like a film school movie that the biggest pop star in the world made, yeah. which is, I think fine. You know, I don't, that's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think he's actually very arresting in it. I said yeah. that, um, uh, not, not much more to say, I suppose. Well, and, and then, the same year he yeah. did that, the same year he did that, he did what I think is probably the worst thing he's done, which is infinite. That terrible Mark Wahlberg oh, yes. movie. He's oh, got a small, a very right. small role in that. Um and uh, he plays he plays Michael Infinite in yeah. that movie. It's yeah. a, and that's a Fuqua <laughs> that's a Fuqua movie too. Which that's like, a Fuqua. Which is interesting because it does it like I mean it's kind of the same with like Deepwater Horizon. Like you, you kind of I look at Fuqua and I'm like, oh, that does seem like a director Dylan O'Brien should, you, should wait, work with. Right? Can I like, tell you something? Infinite feels because we were just talking about this movie with Corey Everett, actually. Infinite feels to Mark Wahlberg the way the mummy feels to Tom Cruise, where like these older <laughs> yeah. establishment movie stars went to their people and were like, What are the kids doing these days? <laughs> sure. Oh, inner like sure. universes, oh, like superhero adjacent stuff. Get me one of those. And then, like, you know, Wahlberg probably knew Fuqua, wanted to work with Fuqua, and it was like, Hey man. I'm going to do infinite. It's like a graphic novel or, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like, okay, let's try it. And it like, didn't really congeal, you know, it's like, it just does not work. I mean, I watched it. That was like peak pandemic paramount plus whatever that was. I watched it. I was thoroughly confused and uninterested. Yeah. But Dylan <laughs> O'Brien is in like two, three scenes. Four, you yeah. Know, four yeah. Scenes. He's yeah. not in it much, but I, I also want to point out he's done some actually really interesting television work. Like apart from Teen Wolf, he, he was in the very best episode of that weird city series. Uh, oh, I that, don't even know if I Amazon. Know he was is in the first episode, the best episode. Same with, I thought the amazing stories reboot. I think he's right. in the best episode yeah. of that. And then his curb your enthusiasm just oh, is a great just destroyed me like such a great episode that he is so good in that episode that was like last year yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he's so good in that he's and then, so funny in that and episode. i, I yeah. do want to tell people though like i know like look you're either going to be a teen wolf fan or you're not to some degree and i i understand it's not everybody's cup of tea but if you want to watch literally watch a kid go from being like an awkward first time actor to being a straight up movie star. Mm. Watching that series from beginning to end is a great way to experience that because by the end of that series, he is so confident 
and and you can tell how much he's grown as an actor he owns that show by the end of it and the fact that he has enough had enough confidence with the way that ended to be like no i don't want to do the movie like y'all have fun Mm. like i'm not gonna do it like i think speaks to like where he is in his career and the choices that he's making yeah that's well said i think yeah i mean it's interesting just to think i mean god wow just to think about like and now it feels so nostalgic like to think about the oc god that movie that show meant so much to me oh me too it's i I call it my favorite show of all time yeah i loved that freaking show i even love season four that people rag on all the time i'm like yeah give me a fucking earthquake people don't even know like (laughs) that's where olivia wilde comes from like you know what i mean oh yeah like shit was happening on that show and all that just didn't happen kevin sorbo (laughs) is he in the show he's in part is in season four he plays ryan's dad Oh my God. I did not he, he, yeah, remember that. That's at his all. dad who comes back and ends. Uh, but, you know, I will say this about the OC. This is no offense to my, my, my main man, Adam Brody, but to me, the heart and soul of that show will always be Julie Cooper, Nickel Cooper, whatever. Like, talk about, I don't know that I've ever experienced a character go on that kind of a journey <laughs> than her character. Yeah. And everything that having to do with her in that trailer park is television gold. God, Julie Coop. Yeah, there's so, oh man, there is a lot. That just, there is just a lot in a very short amount of time. It was yeah. only four seasons. It was like, yeah. but it was a phenomenon just, for those first two seasons. Like, it was a phenomenon. I don't think it people was. realize, like, the Phantom how, Planet song, the, my like, God, the, all the right. other right. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it was, it was blown up. I, my best friend in LA, he and his neighbors have started watching it for the first time, or two of them are watching the series for the first time. So I get like updates every week when they've watched a new episode. <laughs> so it. I'm kind of Love living, it. I'm reliving it vicariously through him because I've watched. <laughs> Also, top to bottom at least also, three times. lest we forget responsible for one of the funniest snl things in the modern era oh god which yeah is the, the dear <laughs> sister yeah, yeah. snl short which like spurred the all of the shorts yeah. Yeah. yeah what you say <laughs> also yeah. gave us a uh, logan marshall green also right gave logan us, he's the brother yeah, yeah. He gave brother? us logan marshall green gave us ryan dano uh gave us uh a lot of people, like a lot of people sprung up from the OC. A lot of bands sprung up from the OC. Yeah, oh my God. Um, yeah, I lo- I adore that show too. Like that's got I a mean, piece Spoon, of my heart. I mean, I, one of my favorite bands is is the band Spoon. Ditto. And Spoon got a second like rush of, of, of a career yeah. from the OC, yeah. right? With that, with the, we with um, the OC featuring that. You know, what is the song? Well, one of the more popular songs. Yeah. Well, that was the thing about the OC, though, is like, I mean, as much as it was a TV show, it was just as much like like 80% of that movie is set to indie pop songs of of that show every episode. And so, like, that show was responsible for, like, breaking so many bands that every every season they would release that compilation soundtrack yeah a lot, lot, lot of mix a lot of mix cds and ipod playlists in cars came, yeah, yeah. Intra- i show. mean death cab was already kind of a big deal but it definitely put them more in the mainstream 
than they yeah, had been. Sure. And, and, and yeah, I, yeah, adore that. I mean, no, nothing to do with Dylan O'Brien other than the Seth Cohen, uh, Adam Brody resemblance. You mentioned earlier as well, Billy Ray, the Friday night lights of it all. And I can't, it's, we didn't even really talk about it when we talked about American assassin, but I just think it's so yeah. funny that Dylan O'Brien and Taylor Kitsch are like doppelgangers to each other, kind of, you know, shadowy doppelgangers to yeah. each other in American assassin. And like, they're having the same, like, Dylan O'Brien is literally steps behind, right? Like, and and thankfully, as of yet, just hasn't had, you know, like the Maze Runner wasn't John Carter. Right? Sure, like, sure. Like, that's like weirdly the difference. Well, he hasn't had, you know, the, you know, the infamous well, 2012. But, yes. Of, yeah. yeah. Kitsch, but right? also, yeah. Three, too, three. like, and this is, I, look, I love Tim Riggins, like one of my favorite TV characters. Who that said, yeah. I don't, I, I've never thought Taylor Kitsch had the greatest range as an actor. Sure. I, I, I was a Zach Guilford guy, still am Matt Saracen all the way. <laughs> like he was my guy on Friday Night Lights. But of course, you know, Michael B. Jordan, of course, was the one who blew up yeah. after that show in such a big way. And um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like, like, you know, Tyler Kitsch is a fascinating discussion, too. Like just because, uh, I mean, so much potential there. And just one well, bad he just, year, one yeah, bad yeah, year. Exactly. Exactly. And really? just, yeah, one, one, one bad year. And then arguably his best performance in, you know, the bad season of true detective. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, right. Kind of, Agreed. it's kind of a shame. It's like, cause he's so compelling in that season. Yeah. And it's really, unfortunately kind of buried under kind of, you know, a, a fatally flawed Vince Vaughn at, Tempt, which I I could try to defend and you know, but like Colin Farrell, you know, anyway. I just am asking the question, did Adam Brody and Taylor Kitsch secretly go to some like geneticist and they were like, sure. look, we both can collectively do better. Let's figure it out. And then Dylan O'Brien was spawned from some kind of genetic experiment well, from Adam Brody and Taylor well, Kitsch. I, think like, there's, <laughs> I would say yes, except I think there's a little bit of Penn Badgley in there as well. Sure, Badgley. I think, I think you got some Penn Badgley ba yeah, going Badgley in there too. Badgley like gave some dandruff to it and like sprinkled yeah. it in the in the serum or whatever. Um, and um, I, I should say, and this should surprise no one who knows my predilections, also a big Penn Badgley fan. Sure. My favorite sure. thing about Gossip Girl. Um, Dan That's Humphrey why you all the watching. way. That's why Dan you Humphrey kept watching. That is. And that's exactly why I kept watching. Well, it certainly wasn't for I mean, the quality. I guess spoilers for Gossip Girl, but isn't he Gossip Girl? Yes. I believe. Yeah, which I believe makes, so. Which, yeah. if you watch that show, makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't track. <laughs> if you go back and rewatch it, none of it actually tracks or makes sense. It was such a ludicrous ending that show what's the show he, that he's now on you, you. That show? he's you. on you yeah you i haven't watched it yet i i've heard I, i've heard great things i've been kind of saving it um but, but i i am going to watch it at some point but um, i always think of and I, i'm not going to remember who tweeted this i'm sure it's someone we all know when that movie life came out with um jake gyllenhaal a pretty good movie with yeah, Gyllenhaal. I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, Reynolds and speaking uh, of like underwater, it's like that kind of movie. It's like a but but hang on. So yeah. this is so we're talking about you know the show is called You. This movie is called Life. And I remember when Life came out, somebody I'm sure we all know tweeted like, "This is the problem with movies today. This movie is called Life. It's so boring. It should be called like you know, you know." monster you know monster bash in space like movies used to be called this and it's so true it's like we've reached this weird moment where like you know the monster underwater mariana trench movie is called underwater it's like can we call it something like 
yeah. fun like can yeah. we call, I mean? can like we I call, wish... yeah the monsters of the marianas trench <laughs> I, but seriously like can we just like i do wish we did a little like love and monsters is a good that's a good yeah. title yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Know, you know you know, that, you know what that movie's about yeah in, in but... a weird way almost to double back a little bit i mean obviously the outfit is a great title but yeah. It, it, but from a marketing standpoint, I could also see someone in a room somewhere being like, God damn it. Like, you know, because it's just like, yeah, it, it does feel innocuous a little bit. Right. Like it's a perfect title for the movie, but it does feel like, a, you know, I mean, my wife and I went to go see that movie literally on a whim. Like we were in Astoria, like having brunch and we were like, let's go walk to the theater and see a movie. And literally we were just like, what's playing? And it was like, here's this movie, the outfit that's literally in a half hour. Right. And we just mm. kind of walked into it. Um, and I just but to that point, like literally just it didn't read like anything. Right. Um, yeah. I just wish I, I just I get I get why I understand it. And I know that the the way the the platforms are kind of matters less and it's kind of, you know, whatever. But it's even like, you know, the movie coming out in like two days, the you know, right. The Will Ferrell, you know, Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds movie. It's called Spirited. Yeah. It's like okay. Yeah. I mean, really, we're just that's what we're well, just calling these movies. Like the thing the about one word. I don't know the thing about outfit, you know, and because it was partially fucked by the pandemic too. Sure. Obviously, not as much as Love and Monsters, but one of those first ones to yeah, come out, kind of just to get people back in movie theaters. Not that it was yeah. ever going to do huge numbers. I mean, it only yeah. had a five million dollar budget. I almost feel like the outfit is an example of a film that would have been better served like as a Netflix film. Or, or something like that. Like, I think it could have found an audience. I think it could have gotten some attention because, like, in my mind, how in the hell is Mark Rylance not going to be nominated for Best Actor? Well, no, that's a that's a great point. Like, even if I mean, it's it's obviously harder now because seemingly it's a little bit busier in the multiplex. Right. The sure. Schedules are are a little more packed, obviously. But yeah, it came out what in March, I think. Yeah, March, right? April. Yeah, March. And it and it just yeah, it, it does feel more like a no an October November sure. like beginning of yeah. award focus, season. You yeah, know, yeah, like, focus movie. Yeah, you know, yeah, it um, really does. It really does. And I think it could have benefited from from that kind of release or from you know that Netflix machine getting behind it for like yeah. end of the year stuff. Um, uh, you know, uh, because now it's just going to be forgotten. Like it's not going to get yeah. any recognition. Yeah. It's going to just yeah. be the And it only needed out. to make fifteen million dollars to like be a hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's it. Like <laughs> right. that's it. the fact that it couldn't is kind of insane. Yeah, like it like, literally, you know, it, it literally just like it's like it made four million dollars. Like it's like yeah. it cost five and made four. That's really oof. God. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, look, it's on Peacock now, so you hope that you know he finds. It's, not, it's uh, is it on? It's on Prime. No, I think it's on. I saw it on. It's I, on Peacock I, I too. On, oh, yeah, okay. I, I, think I think it's on. I think I think it might yeah. be on both actually. Um, and and, yeah. I, and I yeah, it's. Oh, it's so good. Mark Rylance is just so fucking good. I mean, yeah, amen. God Almighty, uh, bring me back for the Mark Rylance discussion in a few years. Well, we'll sure. yeah, we'll talk about uh, the BFG. Sure, BFG. It's, it would be what is like BFG and. Uh, I mean, I don't think you could call BFC, BFG wouldn't be a B-side, but... BFG but, is uh, my least favorite Spielberg film. That's yeah, a good, it's mine, a solid too. Solid and, and, it, and it bums me out because it's Melissa Matheson. Yeah. It's her it's her posthumous yeah. credit. Yeah. Who wrote E.T. and is kind of... She wrote, like, fucking Black Stallion, yeah. too. Yeah. She wrote, like, The Escape Artist. Like, she's a good mm -hmm. writer. And, um... And, um... 
and I always wish she got more credit. It kind of always bums me out. And I, I love that. I love that Spielberg made it, you know, even after she passed and like got it made. And I just, well, I wish it was better. It just always bums yeah. me out that it's not that good. Yeah, it was, um, it was a big bummer. Not only just because of him, but Rylan, like Rylance and Spielberg. Again, I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't quite work. Um, and, and I don't, I don't have the same feelings about Rylance as, as others do in Ready Player One. I think, I think it was obvious for so long that Spielberg just wanted Gene Wilder and wasn't right. able to make that happen. Yeah, and, and so I think, sure. you know, all I do when I watch that movie is I think of what could have been. Yeah. Like if Gene Wilder fair, had been in a, a position point. to be able to do that role, how great that could have been. And and Mark Rollins, I think, does the best he can. I think he's I know people who think he's the best thing about Don't Look Now. I think it's the worst thing I've seen him in. Yeah, I, it's, I, I it's a very it's an extremely man like a mannered performance. Yeah, it, and um, I just don't think it fits in that movie. It, it weirdly seems out of place in a movie where a lot of things seem out of place. Mm. And um, but um, you know who's never seemed out of place to me in a movie? Dylan O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien. There you go. And we're back. Bringing it back. We Bringing it back. We have we have traversed the maze and we have gotten. Yeah, back we we've gone through Dylan some O'Brien. trials. We've ran the maze. We cured death. I don't know if you guys knew about we that. Did, we cured but... death and 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 that's not okay. Hey, that's not, hey guys, well done. That's not okay. Oh wait, Billy I, Ray. I, wait I had a flashback to earlier in the episode. Um, huh, see what I did there? Flashback. <laughs> there we go. I loved it. But you know, um, I, I could say something else, but I'll take the high road. Oh, hey, just keep them coming. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's see if oh, we can. Man. You know what? This episode feels infinite. That's oh, that's true. Doc, that's true. I know that feeling all Doc. too well. Oh, oh. All too well. I do think it. I do think all too well is my favorite Taylor Swift song. I will say that. Um, I do love that song. Um, but, 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 but Billy Ray, remind people as we come to the end, yes. just all the things you have going on. Sure. Just so we don't forget. I'll talk about the, the, the stuff that's upcoming. So like I said, Incinerator Pod, we just dropped our final episode of the season. It's wherever you find podcasts. Uh, we are gearing up for season two, which will drop start dropping in February. Until then, we're uh, dropping some previously Patreon exclusive content on the feed weekly until season two begins. Uh, if you're in Los Angeles on November 30th, we have a new Scripps Gone Wild coming up at El Cid on Sunset. We are doing uh, my favorite horror movie of all time, Black Christmas, the OG, not the two terrible remakes. Um, and uh, we've the got Bob Clark, right? The guy who directed. Oh, yeah. Bob Clark, Christmas Black Christmas. Porkies. Absolutely. And yeah. um, so great cast. Uh, Tiffany Sheppis and Clark Wolf and Edward Hong and a lot of amazing people are going to be joining us for that. So that's November 30th. If you're in Seattle, uh, you can come to Make Believe Seattle, March 23rd through 26th. We got a cool lineup that is uh, slowly uh, getting created. And um, I mean, that's kind of it right now. I mean, other than that, you know, you can always catch me on screen drafts here and there doing some uh, making some people pissed off. And that's kind of my uh, raison d'etre. <laughs> I love that you just said that. So good. Um, well, yeah, man. Thank you for coming on. This was a long time coming. It was great to. I feel like we should have played a cinephile game. Now that I'm, now that we're coming to the end, I'm like, <laughs> we should quick, have done a freaking uh, quick, uh, quick six degrees. Uh, we should have done a freaking the uh, Mark Rylance to filmography uh, <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, just in honor of one of the one of the champions. Uh, I haven't being, played in so long. Like I, I, that's all I did in the pandemic was fucking play Cinephile. You, hey, you yeah, and you and us both. Yeah, and I just haven't <laughs> done it in so long. I, I, I do it on my podcast on Cinerator. Is it's our trivia. We do Cinephile inspired yeah. trivia, but I don't really get to play that. So it's like. I don't know. Oh, right. You don't. Yeah, because you're not playing it. Yeah, right, hosting. Right, right, so right. it's like I don't really get to experience it. So like I will be glad to actually do an actual proper game again at some point. <laughs> We're going to do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Make um, it happen. God we'll damn make it. it happen. We'll talk to Corey and we'll, we'll make it Maybe happen. Maybe we um, won't live stream on Twitter, though, since it's all burned oh down. God. You know, all right, yeah. What are you going to live stream on Mastodon? <laughs> live stream on you know when we were testing it we were doing it like this is like the beginning of the pandemic we did we were we did it on facebook, facebook which, yeah we yeah. could do it to, we could do it to instagram too don't just do youtube just live stream to youtube true yeah. true That's a great point youtube it, the only problem is the getting the traffic to youtube is always hard you know it's always the social media sites are are better because it's People are you're, you're scrolling you're, you're, by. You're finding whatever. it. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's like you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, but no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, well, you can find me as always at DJ Mech on Twitter. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> It's Possibly. kind of exciting. Yeah, who knows? We <laughs> could all seem like idiots, and you're like, we're listening to this in 2025, and Twitter's still around. You're like, what, are, what is he talking yeah, about? Yeah, right. right. Um, I don't want then, Twitter to go away because I enjoy it, but I want it to go away, so it fucks Elon Musk. Right. Sure, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's, it's a, a mixed bag. bag. It's a mixed bag. Um, and then, obviously, I'm writing for the film stage. We have a lot of our year-end stuff coming out, and, you know, best of, what have you. Um, I feel like my list is so boring this year. But I digress. And then and then also Fathom Stories, which Billy Ray, we're gonna get you on. We talked about Please it. Please do. We're I would love to. Southern lawyer given a you know, given a, a final a closing argument and something crazy happens. Ooh, I'm, I like I'm, it. I'm I'm working on it in my head right now and I'll send you a script and you can tell me, you know, rewrite hey, it, do whatever you want. I'm um, I'm ready. Let's do it. And that's uh Fathom Stories, uh, just fathom uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And Connor. I'll throw it to you for a very Dylan O'Brien finish. Sure. Um, yeah, we are, you know, we're coming to the end of the year. We have some cool uh, interviews pending. If you haven't listened yet, our previous episode, we did just do a really great interview with filmmaker Mark Pellington, oh, um, yep. which was like a really, for my money, just one of the more honest, fascinating conversations we've had on the show. So that that was very cool. Um, so if you haven't listened to that for whatever reason, check that one out. It's very good. Um, but yeah, we have some other stuff coming up. We are uh, as we as of today, we are, we've booked uh, our Michelle Yeoh episode that was part of our audience choice uh, programming. So that'll be coming uh, potentially in the new year. We'll see. And then we also have a potential uh, episode on deck for uh for the b-sides of one sam Raimi, so oh. a, lot of, a lot of cool stuff uh lined up for the end of the year um you can find me at scruffy looking on twitter you can find this podcast uh on twitter and facebook at tfs b-side and uh if you like what you've heard please rate review and subscribe wherever you are listening we greatly appreciate it you can email us uh at B-S-I-D-E, B-Side, at thefilmstage.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. We hope you all are enjoying your Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, just remember that Taylor Kitsch and Adam Brody walked, 
so that Dylan O'Brien could run mazes. <laughs> and he's running like a goddamn chain. And now you're listening to the B-side.